Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. everybody, it's Wednesday, February 20th, 2013, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say. Hello. Mr. Bob Ryer. Guten Tag. And Stephanie Cook. I am returned. She is back. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about uh, Batman today. Batman, Batman, Batman. 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 Thanks, All right. guys. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for the setup. So uh, you guys are tuning in. Um, just so you know, uh, the kind of topic of this show is going to be Batman Death of the Family. Uh, and after the break, we're going to be getting into a big spoilery discussion about our thoughts and feelings. And so if you guys want to know about it, um, don't listen, obviously. But uh, so you guys know, we're going to be doing this first half of the show kind of like a uh, a mini full, sh- uh, mini version of our full show. So we're gonna do our little, you know, our book of the week. We're gonna t- do some listener uh, questions, and we're going to talk about the books that are coming out this week. Then we'll take a break, and we'll go into our Batman um, conversation. Uh, also, in this, in the vein of kind of Batman week here at Talking Comics, uh, Scott Snyder is gonna be joining us uh, for an interview, and you will hear that on Friday. And we're gonna talk all about Death of the Family. You know, his thoughts on Batman. Uh, we've already done the interview and it's really great and we can't wait for you guys to hear it, but that will be coming, uh, on Friday. Uh, before we, uh, jump into that Batman stuff though, we obviously want to be talking about, uh, books that came out in this past week that we loved. So Bob, book of the week, go. Okay. Starting it's the number two issue of the highways from IDW's John Burns, uh, science fiction thing. And, I expected this to go somewhere else. The first issue seemed like I had a handle on we were going down a whole Solaris mm-hmm. mystery thing. No. No, he decided to go somewhere else entirely here, Ooh. which really makes it even deeper. It's a different mystery than I thought it was. I thought I had this pegged in, so he surprised me again, as he has been now for 30 years. Nice. I should never take for granted that he's going to lead me down the path, I thought. I really enjoyed the first issue. Now you tell me it switches gears. That's awesome. Yeah, well, we pick that. up directly from that cliffhanger at the end. If people read the first one, you know, you're you're on a deserted moon, supposedly, at, a, at, a, at an outpost, and there's someone outside in the absolute zero cold. How? Who the heck knows? We don't know. We don't know. Well, we kind of get some inklings, and we take a visit outside, too. Very nice. So, very nice. Uh, but book book of the week is Avengers Assemble number 12. Oh, I didn't get to read that. Uh, I won't spoil it then, but it's Kelly Sue DeConnick and Pete Woods, and his art is really amazing here. Uh, really sells the comedy and then the dark stuff that goes on. It's part of a two-issue thing. It's called The Widow's Ledger. Uh, the Black Widow, you, you, you flash back to a job she did back in the old days, and she's now gotten 
a marker, something someone's calling in a karmic debt over what's what's going on. Uh, she's about to leave, and of course, this starts into well, Clint's going to go because mm-hmm. well, he wants to. So they start fighting. Uh, Spider Woman shows up, you know, the looking at her new boyfriend and the ex going at it, and she's standing there with a big knife. <laughs> Uh, I'm going. No, you're not. We're going. We're all going. And then we, we cut to a shot of three of them sitting on a really cheap sofa in someone's Moscow apartment. Just hysterical stuff. We get to a, a mystery within a mystery. Uh, some hugely funny Howard Hawksian style dialogue for you old-fashioned movie buffs like me, overlapping stuff with the letters. It's it's Clayton Cowell's. The word balloons intersect, overlap each other, cross each other over. You have to read this clipped and fast, and mm. it's great. We end up in a subterranean search for a missing young girl, daughter of a scientist, who's created a drug based on a real problem that's going on in Russia. It's a drug called Crocodile, which you'd think is just nothing. And the character within the book says, I know you think it's crap. Look it up. Well, I did. It's, it's the worst thing I've ever seen. The images are terrible. The people, it's this really horrible uh, opiate that makes your body rot off as if you have leprosy. <laughs> but it's cheap, and so Yummy. people are using it. Yeah, but it, it's, a, it's a real issue. We're having a little sport with it, but really something bad's going on. The, the, so the story, as usual with Avengers Assemble, have shifted from we're having a lot of fun, and all of a sudden there's superhero stuff, and it's oops. It's just it, You're riding a horse, and the horse decides to keep going straight and you're expecting left and all of a sudden you're hanging out somewhere mm-hmm. um so uh, that's my book of the week avengers assemble 12 it's been kind of an interesting week for actually that duo because uh another book out the secret avengers number one mm-hmm. uh by nick spencer with art by luke ross you know it deals uh with w- widow and um hawkeye on this kind of adventure they're going on and you know, it's a little bit different tact, obviously. It's it's, but it's also it has a good a good sense of humor to it, and treats Hawkeye. I I think that it's well, Hawkeye is in a very good place right now with Marvel with yeah. in, in all of his instances he's appearing in. The cool thing about Secret Avengers uh, is that you know the deal with Secret Avengers is you know uh, they've decided that Shield wants a team, but they don't want you know the ops are going to be so secret and so clandestine, and they don't want anything going back to them that. You know, they've implanted these, you know, like these chips basically in the heads of Black Widow and Hawkeye and they can erase their memories to a certain mm. point so they don't remember the missions that they were on. Hence the secret of Exactly. So I got that. I like that. <laughs> so this first issue is, you know, it's it's Black Widow and Hawkeye and uh, Nick Fury Jr. Yeah. Uh, and it's already playing with, you know the idea of kind of unreliable narrator. Like what does Hawkeye remember when we see it through his eyes? Is this actually what happened or is shield playing some kind of game with them? You know, uh, the Hawkeye wakes up in a situation where he's been shot and he's kind of like hang in, you know, he's been kidnapped and he doesn't know how he got there. Uh, and it really, it, it feels the most, uh, all, all the work I've read of Nick Spencer's that hasn't been his creator own work. This feels most like a Nick Spencer type of story Mm. you know twisting plot you know uh something going on in the background that we're not quite sure what it is shadowy you know (laughs) puppet masters in the background and and uh, the play with memory and time and stuff like that is also a big thing uh it was a really interesting book i don't know if anybody else read it yeah i read it you read it what'd you think steve um i i i was enjoying it 
but I it didn't it didn't hit that mark for me until the final two pages mm-hmm. when they they kind of you know pulled the uh, the curtain back yeah. on what was going on. And it just added a whole nother level and demanded a reread. Mm-hmm. And so everything that I was kind of shaky on in the beginning, in the delivery, and in how much time we were spending in conversations when other things could have been going on, um, instead of them setting up an entire story or Nick Spencer giving you like all the ins and outs of what the plot's going to be about, he laid the bones of the concept or the idea of the series. And I thought that that was a a pretty genius move Mm -hmm. uh, on his end. And like I said, in the very end, you know, with all these, with all these new series coming out, you're trying to decide what to read and what to, what to leave off and maybe come back to later. It was going to be a book that I was going to be a wait and see. Mm -hmm. And then when I reached the end and I reread it, I was like, yeah, yeah, this is I'm on board for this. It's interesting, too, because it actually it, it kind of on some level is maybe one of the easiest books for somebody who doesn't read these books regularly to get into because it features three characters who they're going to recognize immediately, even though, you know, this Nick Fury isn't the normal Nick Fury from our continuity. Some of you watch the movie of Avengers is going to see, OK, that's Nick Fury. Yeah. Um, Black Widow and Hawkeye are two characters from the Avengers movie who have the, basically the same relationship in the movie that they have in this book. And, and come from the same place doing spy stuff. Exactly. And the thing too is it's funny is this is in Budapest, which is uh, something they bring up yeah. in the Avengers movie, which I thought of immediately, you know, and you know, the whole, yeah. you, remember Bud- you and I remember Budapest very differently type of thing. And it obviously is not that same thing because they're talking about something before all this craziness happened, but it's just a fun little nod, I think definitely to, to that, the movie continuity. No, that's happening nice, there. Nice callback. Bobby. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> Stephanie, did you get a chance to read it? Not yet. Um, I picked it up and I knew we were going to talk about it. And for some reason, I just like, I was like, Avengers, new Avengers, 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 Avengers Assemble. Which one was he talking about? There's so many Avengers. Secret X-Men. Yeah. So I kind of, I read all the other Avengers books. Nice. (laughs) But not this one. Whoopsies. But I'm going to, I have it. It was a secret, even from Stephanie. (laughs) Yeah, Stephanie. No, it was hiding. It was hiding amongst my digital copies. Whoops. But I think uh, you, being a fan of Nick Spencer, I think that you mm-hmm. would enjoy it because it definitely has a, a lot of his imprint all over the book. Um, well, speaking of, you know, just on kind of kind of, kind of naturally transitioning to this, you said you've been reading a bunch of the other Avengers book and you really haven't been here while we've been talking about these books. Just really quick, Stephanie, what have you been thinking about some of these other Avengers books? Um, It's bad because I really wait a while to kind of, I get like two or three issues of something and then mm-hmm. I dive into them all at once. And they're kind of melding together a bit <laughs> for me right now. Um, but that being said, from I, I read them a couple of weeks ago, and um, I was really, really, really enjoying them. And then I kind of picked up a lot of the stuff that I'd missed out on while I was away and found that I'd lost my place. And I have to go back and read them all over again now. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm really digging them, actually, despite my hate for you know, 12,000 Avengers titles and X-Men titles, etc. Um, they really, for the most part, bring something fresh to the table. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, again, with few exceptions, they, they're they all worth reading um, just for unique things that they, well, just again, bring to the table. Like they, they're just fun. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been 
I've been really enjoying the Marvel Now stuff. So, very yeah. cool. Very cool. Um, Bob, is there any other books you want to talk no, about? I'm no, good to go. Steve, what do you got for us? Ooh, well, of course, in true uh, fashion, taking <laughs> over for Bob, uh, Matt Fraction's Fantastic Four number four came yeah. out, and in my opinion, it's the best issue of his run yet. Mm-hmm. Really, really quick, just really, really high emotional marks in this issue between Reed and Sue. There's this rift going on. You know, we're we're talking about big with the Batman with trust mm-hmm. that trust has been breached that Sue is now kind of aware that Reed's got ulterior motives for this, you know, fantastic educational vacation in space that they're having. Um, But the issue is also kind of a, it reads almost like a love letter from Reed to Sue. You get to see a lot of their history, how they met. And there's just, there's so much going on that that now that I've been reading these characters and I've been indulging myself a lot in Fantastic Four more so than anything else uh these last few months that the book is really starting to affect me in a way that when I was reading it I was genuinely upset that I mean I know that they're just comic book characters but they're I'm almost starting to consider them to be like friends that if you were seeing a couple that you admire that you love and you love seeing them together watching them fight, watching them lose trust for one another, um, it upset me. Like, it really hurt me. When I put when I put this particular issue down, I was disturbed. And I, it was almost as if I wanted to dive into the pages and talk to them and be like, you know, you guys have got to figure this out. Um, so there's probably more I can say about it, but I don't want to spend too much time. I know we're trying to cram a lot in. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a great little book. Uh even just self-contained for people who haven't been reading it. Yeah. If, if you understand the relationship much better at the end, at the beginning, even with that riff, because you see that he, he respects her and loves her and admires her, but he had to keep this a secret. Well, she's his queen and yeah. apparently she's queen to a bunch of other people too. And you get to see both of, of those, you know, those, I guess those outlooks or views about her character in, in this particular issue. And it just it shows a lot of the emotional depth that this book can read within that one issue, and I think people should be reading it always. Um, really quick, amazing Batman and Robin number seventeen, just a really great epilogue for the whole uh, death of the family event, and I loved it. But my favorite, 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 favorite book of the week, aside from Batman number seventeen, was. <laughs> Uncanny X Men number one uh, by Michael Bra- um, Brian Michael Bendis <laughs> and uh, Chris Bucciolato. Holy cow! Mm-hmm. I loved, I loved, loved, loved this issue. Uh, it was a little weird that Emma now looks like a thirteen-year-old girl, but <laughs> beyond that, uh, some really, really cool stuff with Maria Hill. I haven't mm-hmm. been. Aside from the movie, like I haven't been exposed to her character all too much because yeah. I kind of jump around a lot. Mm-hmm. This shows her ability to to lead and to and to investigate and just there's a lot of mystery. The art is absolutely just gorgeous. Everything that you would expect from Bucciolato. He's one of my favorite artists in the industry. Uh, I love the idea that we didn't know who we were interviewing or mm-hmm. talking to yeah. pretty much until the last page. Mm-hmm. And when you find out who it is, it really, really kind of 
turns things on its ear and you start to view this character differently. And there's a lot of um, history, like it harkens back to a lot of old school themes and just a huge, huge change uh, for this particular character. And I cannot wait to, to see where they're gonna where they're gonna go with this. The action's ridiculous. The costume redesigns are gorgeous, and it's just it's really one thing that I'm really really enjoying with this X Men stuff is seeing all the new mutants mm-hmm. popping up all over the place. And you know, thankfully, in the aftermath of all the Avengers versus X Men stuff that was kind of here and there. The Marvel Now books seem to really be building off of that in positive ways. Uh, it was the first X-Men book. I've enjoyed others that have come out. I, I, I'm really starting to like all new X-Men. I was kind of, I, I had to warm up to it a little bit. But this was the first X title that I picked up that like right from the get-go, from the first page, I was just so excited. The Sentinel battles. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I, I it's... It's just it's everything that I want in in a book. There's so much uncertainty of the state of things, and Bendis is just really, really conveying that in this particular book and in this series. And I just I think it's going to be a lot of fun visually. It's going to look spectacular, mm-hmm. and it's like as far as the X books, this is gonna this is going to be my X book. I can already tell. So cool. I mean, I, I loved it. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Um, it's a very, you know, I've read a f- quite a few now, probably more than anybody else, first Brian Michael Bendis issues of things, mm-hmm. you know, and it's very classic Bendis first issue. It's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of, there's actually more action than usual in his first issues, but it's all framed on a lot of dialogue, uh, you know, kind of setting the seams for stuff to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're absolutely right. The, the reveal at the end, when it's real, that makes complete sense why it would happen. Yep. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit and you mentioned as well, it really is dealing with consequences from that of the, from the event. Yeah. You know, whether you like the event or not, it's not just going, okay, this stuff, whatever, we're going to just going to go do whatever we want to mm-hmm. do now. All of this X-Men stuff especially is dealing mm-hmm. with that directly. Um, and I love the art too. The yeah. Magneto like white knight costume is is the only thing that I didn't love. Really, I love it. Yeah, I like I like the idea. But I just I, just, I want to know why. Like you know, I like the design of it, just not the coloring of it because it looked bizarre, kind of mm-hmm. contrasted to the backgrounds to me. I mean, that's that's the point. Mm-hmm. But it just threw me a little bit where I was. A lot of times, I feel like if you if you're looking at something and you go and you spend a lot like more than a couple seconds being like, huh, that's a little odd. It, it's kind of taking you away from what you should be interacting with. Well, this is, with. I mean, this particular book gave me um, just a little bit of insight or an inkling that we were we were wondering what was going to happen with Cyclops and mm-hmm. Scott Summers' character and what they were going to paint him out to be and mm-hmm. do with him after all of these events. I know Bob and I had many, many discussions mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm. And I really kind of like the way that they're billing him in this particular book. That um, especially his costume, like I mentioned, the costume redesigns, mm-hmm. I think is is just really, really um, very iconic mm-hmm. and very, very cool for what he's supposed to stand for at this point. And I really like the core team that I, I'm sure that there's going to be more people that join the cause and that follow him. Mm-hmm. But between the new mutants that they've gotten, the ones that are already existing and are already there to support him or otherwise that it's just a, a really well-rounded, interesting... I mean, you got a healer, 
you got somebody that can stop space and time and create little like time mm-hmm. bubbles. Yeah. It's a uh, somebody that is a sorceress and does magic, mm-hmm. and somebody who's a leader, but whose powers uh, apparently are very unpredictable. Yeah. At this point, mm-hmm. that it seems as if anybody can die at any moment from their own leader. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to see how this is going to play out. And I just, this is a book that if they, they put it out twice a month or whatever, mm-hmm. I would be so on board. I hope that they keep this team for a while. I know sometimes it gets daunting and they move people around, mm-hmm. but um, Bendis and, and Buccello on this book are just like, are so doing it for me right now. I mean, they won't okay. move. Sorry, go ahead. And I like, yeah, I tried to hop in like ages ago, but. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, I was just going to say about the Maria Hill thing. You're really digging that, but that's to me, like, she's not, I I get why she's there, but at the same time, I didn't dig her presence in there. Like, I felt like there wasn't enough focus on the X-Men themselves with her being there. She's not an X-Men. She's an Avenger. Like, she's not even an Avenger either. Well, yeah, yeah. (laughs) She's part of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. But like, it it felt, I, I get why she was kind of moving along the story via you know the person she was interviewing Mm -hmm. but at the same time i just felt they could have done that with another way without having to include you know her in it i like that she's in it i like her character and i like the aspects that you mentioned steve about Mm -hmm. her but i just felt that she didn't have a she shouldn't have a place in an x-men book well i mean she's a part of the framing device well she's also you know i mean it's also a byproduct of the events that this is following up on yeah they would be involved yeah i get that as well like i just for me i wish there was less of her like um not that she's completely gone necessarily but just I, i hope that the whole book isn't focusing half on her and what's going on there and then you know the X-Men. I'd rather the focus be yeah. on that story that's going well, on. Well, I mean, just judging from this issue alone, I mean, this is going to get really big. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if she's there just to facilitate the information to, to get it off its feet. Yeah. What I kind of see her as is kind of like the handler, mm-hmm. you yeah. know? Like, if you've you ever seen the show, like, Alias, you know, the, the character comes in and, like, kind of gives the missions and stuff like that, and then, you know... Yeah, well, she's, along. you know, she's, like, second in command. It's, yeah. you know, I... I I don't know. I for the Avengers, not the Avengers. Yeah, it's a but... shield. Yes, I know, but she doesn't work with the. I mean, oh, never mind. I know. I, I get what you're saying. I totally. I completely get what you're saying. Uh, I just think that within. I. I don't know. Within the universe, that they would be involved to an extent. Mm-hmm. I mean, I. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I. I thought it fit. I. I thought it was really cool. And I don't. I haven't been exposed much to her mm-hmm. character. That I'm just like the movie was pretty much mm-hmm. when I got to see who she was that's when i learned anyway right so to start to warm up to that character i mean obviously she's been she's existed for a while mm-hmm. but i haven't read a whole lot of avengers stuff so to see her in a title that i like and and written well in whatever capacity mm-hmm. i'm i'm willing to see where it goes yeah and i'm you know i'm really i said this before about all new x-men but I've never really had the chance to be in on the ground floor of any X-Men stuff. Mm-hmm. And this stuff is allowing me to do that. And I'm liking that corner mm-hmm. of the universe. And Marie Hill's been great too. In uh, she's in Avengers, uh, Secret Avengers. Yep. And she's also in uh, Instructable Hulk. And she's really good in that book as well. That is, that's the other one yeah. that, that she's really good in. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah. Um, yes. Bob, you didn't read it, right? Nope. No, okay. So we'll, we'll move on then. Um, we will now. 
so we talked about most of the books I, uh, you know, I wanted to talk about that are mainstream. But uh, this uh, past weekend, uh, my girlfriend actually handed me uh, an indie comic Ooh. that she got when uh, she went to a, a MoCA which, uh, convention. Which she actually wrote a comic, uh, and she one of the people that was at the convention. She bought it, his book. And it's called I'm Crazy. It's by a name by a by a guy named Adam Beret. I think his name is. He actually lives in Toronto, Stephanie. So there you go. Um, yeah, Canada. <laughs> it's a semi-autographical autobiographical tale about this uh, uh, guy who's struggling with OCD, and uh, it's about you know kind of facing your ins- you know the the insanity that you have and kind of realizing the what you have and that that insanity doesn't go away and you kind of have to deal with it and it's very out of sequence and it hops back and forth and you know it's all kind of it's not really a narrative structure you know it's just kind of free foremost anecdotes about his life but it all takes the shape of this portrait of this guy who you know did something he thought was so bad when he was younger that he's been kind of punishing himself for it for a very long time and uh, it's about how those kind of things and those kind of secrets and holding that kind of stuff in can start to eat away at you. You know, and there's these great Im- there's great imagery of, you know, he says a lot of times he's fine, but sometimes the craziness takes like root in his stomach like a tree and it just starts growing out and he, he, he gets impaled by this tree and he, he can't escape it. And there's this great imagery of him like with branches coming out of his, his mouth and his, you know, his side and he's just sitting there and it, it's this really amazing stuff, and it's also these things about how you know he kind of has these imaginary friends that some of them are bad. You know, one of them he calls like his suicide, and it's like this evil-looking blob that like you know, and it's kind of humorous, but it's also kind of scary that you know kind of tries to goad him into these bad things that tells him nobody likes him, and that you know the, all these people are too good for him, and what is he doing there, and he doesn't belong. But he also has this other little imaginary friend that, that he calls like his, it's like the, the meat meat, that whenever he's going to say something really weird, like somebody asked him how he's doing, he's going to say like, oh, you know, I, 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 you know, I thought about killing myself yesterday. It goes like, meat meat. And he's like, I'm doing fine. You know, things have been a little bit off, but I've been okay. You know, and it's it, it really great little moments. And um, it really struck me because it has these things that, um, you know, these kind of truths that he stumbles upon uh, in his life that are really resonant for anybody, even people who don't have, you know, the, these problems. And there's this great passage, I just want to read it really quick. It says, um, uh, it's talking about problems and big things and, you know, breakups and, and all this stuff. And he said, um, you know, these things that are so troubling, so life and death today, all you have to do is survive them and carry them. In time, everything loses its weight. They break down and slow off like leaves in the wind. Uh, and it's wow. just, it was, it just hit me, you know, it's like, sometimes you're, I read it because, you know, my girlfriend wanted me to read it and I ended up just absolutely loving it. Uh, I don't know where you can get it. It's not on Amazon or anything like that. Uh, but his name is Adam Beret and you can find him. It looks it's, as if there's a website on the back. Yeah, yeah, there is. It, if you go to, well, it's I'm-crazy.com, but if you just search, uh, Adam Beret and you spell his last name B-O-U-R-R-E-T. Uh, you you can find him um, on there, and he supposedly has another book coming out as well. But I was just kind of really taken aback by it, and um, maybe it's not for everybody, but it had a lot of cool cool truths in it and stuff that's very relatable. Even though he he's you know 
a homosexual guy with OCD, which is neither one of the things is me, I, I found a lot of things to connect with in the book. Nice. So I definitely recommend, if you can get your hands on it, checking it out. Hmm. But there you go, cool. Nice little indie indie title. Yeah, it's very indie. Mm-hmm. Very, very indie. Hmm. Taking those, well, with those, keep an eye out for it in Toronto. Absolutely, <laughs> taking those Marvel goggles off, as some people would like to say. All your Marvel colored glasses. My Marvel colored glasses. <laughs> those like beer goggles. There are like beer goggles. Everything <laughs> looks like Spider Man. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, speaking of Spider Man, I just want to bring up. There's not. There wasn't a lot of news this week, uh, unlike mm. the past couple weeks, which have been like full of stuff. But Mark Webb, the director of Amazing Spider Man Two, has been tweeting out. Picture upon picture on the set. And two things kind of struck people. I just want to bring them up really quick. He wished happy birthday to the person playing Harry Osborne. And in that picture was a locker. I believe it's number 17. 14. 14, sorry. Uh, which in the Ultimate Universe is the place where Peter finds the formula that becomes the Venom symbiote. Because in the Ultimate Universe, it's different than in, in the mm. main universe. It's a, something created by his father and I believe Eddie Brock's father. And they find together and it, oh. and it happens. Um now, there's a lot of speculation that Venom would be something that would be tackled in, in, in the film. Uh, I, my opinion is I don't think that's true. I think that there's already a lot of villains. I don't think they're going to be piling on another major villain. I just think it means that Mark Webb is seeding these bigger storylines throughout these movies. And it's kind of what he talked about, you know, when someone said, oh, you know, are you thinking about like a Spider-Man kind of movie continuity? And he's like, well, think bigger. You know, I think I think that he's he's setting up this universe to, to play in. Well, in issue fourteen in the regular series is the first Goblin, isn't it? Oh, well, that's true. Oh, that's um, true. there you go. And they, he also posted a photo of. Did you just say this? The black mask? No, I didn't say anything about the black mask. It's it's a really big close up of the eye uh, of Spider Man, but it looks like there's black material uh, around uh, it. But um, there's actually a lot of speculation that it's not Venom; it's actually Black Cat's mask. Felicia yeah. Hardy, and uh, they've just anno- announced that Felicity Jones, who mm-hmm. is in um, Like Crazy and this great flick called Cemetery Junction, um, that she'll be in the movie. So I'm pretty sure she would make a really great black cat. And uh, maybe, maybe the black mask refers to her. Maybe. Yeah, it's very is, possible. Is that the girl they, they had a picture of her shooting a picture? Um, a, um, I'm not sure I it could be. I don't yeah. know. It's either probably her or the girl who's playing uh, Mary Jane. It's either one of those two that oh, okay. that picture is of. But it's interesting. I mean, it's the thing about introducing Felicia Hardy is just there's already Emma, Emma Stone's, you know, Gwen Stacy, and there's going to be Mary Jane. So it's going to be like a love, like, square <laughs> if they're all in there, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let's get Betty Brant in too. Yeah, yeah. that's who I thought she was going to play. That's who I assumed she was going to play. But I think you know what's exciting about what Mark Webb is doing is that I believe that even he's going to start introducing things that aren't featured in movies that are going to come up later. You know, I think that he's taking and Sony's taking the cue from Marvel to kind of do this type of situation. Um, but it'd be great if you started bringing those things into the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly do not think it's time for another Venom story no. yet. Um, we have to get through the Gwen Stacy story before I think that even becomes an issue. I did not know that issue 14 was the issue with the Green Goblin. We need Rob here tonight, but I'm pretty sure it was 14 was the first original Green Goblin. That would make it because he's Harry Osborn, so that would totally yeah. make sense. Um, and you know, we'll probably be seeing Norman at some point as well here. Definitely excited about that movie, though. 
definitely yeah, very excited. Yeah. Um, we've talked a lot about X-Men Days of Future Past. Uh, some concrete casting news came out of a new person. Uh, Peter Dinklage yeah. is going to be an X-Men Days mm-hmm. of Future Past, which I think we all agree is pretty awesome. You know, yeah. 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 I mean, uh, Game of Thrones, he is amazing in that. No word on who he's playing officially, Though, but he's going to be a villain. So, Bob, what would I had read that he's playing the creator of the Sentinels, Bolivar Trask. Ooh. Mm. Which could be a lot of fun. Right. It's certainly very. In the third movie, it's uh, Bill Duke. Mm hmm. Or at least they call him Mr. Trask without saying. And this, they never got to anything important in that third movie except, yeah. well, we all got to the exits. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, it took me a bit of it. That was funny. I think it's a great idea. He's a great, great actor who'll be able to play the person. As I recall from back in the old days, it's a character not happy with the way his son's being treated and so on and so forth. And there's prejudice in the world and he'll fix it by getting rid of people who are different. You know, he feels threatened. Yeah. So now having Peter Dinklage being able to handle the layers of all that, being mm-hmm. protective and then destructive at the same time, could be very entertaining. It could. Uh, very exciting. I will say this. Um, I feel like an idiot because I skipped over Stephanie's book of the week. I feel yes. like a, I feel like a bad person. So, Stephanie, <laughs> please take it I over. Predict, I predict that you'll forget me at least one more time in this podcast as well. I, I, I think you got a, you got, you got a pretty good uh, second sight there for that. <laughs> well, you do it on purpose. I know you do. <laughs> Bobby just hates me, you guys. It's, it's penance for not being here. Mm-hmm. I know, but I already feel bad about that. Yeah. This is my passive, aggr- my passive aggressive way. You should. <laughs> Oh, but I came on Man Cave. You did, but that's not talking comics. <sighs> this Whatever. is your home. Don't yeah. you want to go to your home? <laughs> yeah, I'm home. <laughs> Anyways, so I missed Bob so much that I decided to take a note from him this week and mm. uh, go old school a bit here. So my book of the week is um, originally from 1998. It's uh, a Silver Surfer story called Parable by um, Stan Lee and Mobius. So this was recently reissued uh, through Marvel uh, a few weeks ago on January 30th. And uh, I picked it up because you guys talked about last week books, I believe, and characters that you wanted to read a little bit more mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. And Silver Surfer was on my list. So um, basically, this is kind of exactly what it's called. Like, it's a parable. It's this story about... Um, the Silver Surfer, who's kind of, he he's not really doing anything. He's incognito. And um, Galactus comes to Earth. And he doesn't try to take over the Earth or conquer it or anything. He um, He's promised the Silver Surfer that he won't do anything to Earth. But he instead just kind of looms there. And by looming there, the people of Earth assume he's a god. So... Um, he, he then just kind of commands everyone to wreak havoc on the world and he doesn't have to destroy them because through their fanaticism, fanaticism, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, um, he, they just do it themselves. He doesn't have to do anything. And so the silver surfer in trying to be like, people look at what you're doing, dum-dums <laughs> like, you know, it sort of becomes this villain. And it's this really interesting story that just, um, it's just this story about good and evil and kind of where the lines are drawn and, you know, 
how we have to grow in humanity. And it's a really deep story from Stan Lee and with incredible art from Mobius. And um, I know I'd mentioned this to Bob off the air if he had read it and he had apparently... You read it a while back, right, Man, Bob? Many years back. If I had known ahead of time, yeah, I would have dug this one out. Uh, mm. Stan always wanted the surfer to be the the voice of his own outrage about our society. And you know, he, the surfer would fly around saying, you have the most beautiful planet in the universe, and yet you people can't get along with each other, and you foul the airs and spoil the rivers, and what's wrong with you? Mm. And it was just the perfect way to use that on a, on a large stage. And the artwork which is very pretty, manages to convey that ugliness at the same time. Hmm. Mobius, who just passed, uh, what, November, September? Uh, somewhere I back think late March last year. last year. Was it that far back? Yeah, yes. he's almost been passed away for a year. Uh, it, it's lovely that they reissued this, because it's been gone a long time. And people yeah. should definitely pick this up. Um, I happened upon it when I was going through uh, the list of new comics that I'd missed while I was away, and was just... It was something that just immediately caught my eye, and I don't know. I guess maybe Mobius kind of drew me to it, and if for no other reason, it's completely worth looking through just for his art alone. But it's a beautiful story too, and um, he just has this great way of lettering his work as well. I this I believe he letters all his own stuff, right? I, or did I rather? Think so yeah. And it's just so unique, and I I thoroughly enjoyed it, and. I highly recommend it. It's a great one-off story that doesn't take too long to get through. Um, I just read it today, and it's worth your time. Is, so, it, is it a trade this time around? I believe the first time it was a slim hardcover. I picked it up digitally, actually. So I, I don't honestly know if it came out in um, how it came out, but I'm assuming uh, it's going to be like a slim hardcover, sort of um, along the lines of like Requiem or something. We actually have um, a few copies of it at the shop. So oh. it came out almost in like a um, like a, like a thick one shot slash digest kind of okay. Uh, okay. edition. Okay, yeah. I, I, seriously, guys, it's so worth picking up. It's beautiful, and um, I don't know if you thumbed through it at all, Steve, when you saw it at the shop. But... Yeah, no, you totally got me. I just I just passed Bobby my phone that uh, <laughs> of of the many many things that I'll be buying uh, later this afternoon, I will add that to the fire. <laughs> I'm glad. Uh, definitely check it out because if you're like me and are curious a bit more about the Silver Surfer, um, I mean, it doesn't give you a lot of detail into his character, and yet it does speak volumes about mm. his character at the same time. So, yeah, it, check it out, guys. It will be my first Silver Surfer experience. I've never read anything by uh, with him in it before. There you go. Ever. Mm. There you mm. go. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, well, Stephanie, I'm glad I allowed you to have a book of yeah. the week. <laughs> Thanks, Bobby. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> very, very welcome. Um, well, uh, let's get right back onto news a little bit here. I just want to read a uh, – Joss Whedon had a quote about uh, the S.H.I.E.L.D. pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he wrote – he said, I'm excited about the show because it's a very hopeful show. It's not about murder and it's not about crime and it's not about people looking at their own belly buttons. It's about people who are trying to help each other and that's one of the things I loved about comic books. They had costumes and the villains were cool, but they stood for something. And I like doing a show that does that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says about its inclusion in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, he said, we're trying hard to be very true to Marvel's ethos and also to the structure of their universe. So it's definitely a Marvel show. Um, 
and he mentioned about Colby Smulders saying that she might become be in the show as Maria Hill, and he said, you know, it's tough because How I Met Your Mother got picked up for a ninth season, but but if we can get a hold of her anytime, we will. So, Bob, what, what do you think well, about those quotes? Those words are incredible. That's mm-hmm. what you want to hear, and it's why the Avengers work so well as a movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all in that love for the character, the, yeah. the medium. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm already, yeah. I couldn't be more excited about the show as it is, so it doesn't really make me more yeah. excited, but, uh, you know, I'm just frothing in the mouth that we're going to get a new Joss Whedon show uh, come the fall. Mm-hmm. So, and have it be S.H.I.E.L.D., no less. Yeah, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, well, we spoke about, spoke about one um, uh, Game of Thrones alumni being in a Marvel movie, but also Jason Momoa, who uh, is in the first season of Game of Thrones, obviously, as... Yes. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, he is going to maybe play Drax in the Gardens of the Galaxy Ooh. movie, who is obviously yeah, the one yeah. kind of bred to kill Thanos. So, so excited. Yeah, that is a very, very exciting. He's a, I like him a lot, and I think he's just been kind of waiting to find something to be a star in. And, mm-hmm. and I, I, he's great in Game of Thrones, and I'm really excited. They're putting together a cool cast if this, is, if this ends up coming to fruition. To, to be the- fair, he was really awesome in Conan, too, which I thought was – like, people just lost the point of that movie, which was stupid fun, and he was great in that. He is so, he is the only like I didn't love the Conan remake, uh, but he is very good in it. He is very he has a lot of charisma and, and he's a lot of fun in. But that it's not going to make him a star, you know? No, 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 no. Yeah, it's it's one of those like cult classic kind of things that yeah. people will just watch because it's awfully good. Mm-hmm. But I, I really enjoyed him in that, and I'm excited for him to be in other things. Yeah, I like that his last name reminds me of mimosas. There you go. Well, mimosas are delicious. They so. are delicious. Ooh, alcohol. <laughs> but Breakfast you don't, you don't, alcohol. You don't drink, Stephanie. What are you talking about? I don't. I am All the alcohol. one day sober. <laughs> <laughs> it's still early. <laughs> it, it is. Maybe, but, but if I did drink, it would be in the morning. That's what she's saying. <laughs> yeah, breakfast foods all the way. It's noon somewhere. It has orange juice in it. How bad can it be? Exactly. And champagne. You're yeah. always classy if you're drinking champagne. We, <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. except except I had a friend of mine actually drink out of his wife's shoe at his, ba- his baby's christening, and oh. then fell into the table and was ended up carried out of the place screaming, "I'm blind, I can't see." He had actually made himself <laughs> alcohol blind drinking oh out of someone's shoe. Oh. Well, he was a sloppy, yeah, charismatic drunk. Yes, he sloppy was drunk. Lassie, whatever. He was Never all mind. those things leading up to being, you know, dead stone blind drunk. He's giving us classy drunks a bad name. Yeah, we got to work on him. <laughs> all right, so that's it kind of for the, the news stories are, uh, oh. we, we had found. Um, kind of a slow week, but interesting week uh, nonetheless. Uh, but now we've got some non-death uh, of the family related listener uh, questions that we wanted to go through. Are there such things? Uh, yeah, apparently there are, Bob. Wow. I didn't think it was possible, uh, no. but apparently there are. Uh, this is from at Next Door Critic uh, on Twitter. He says, uh, Marvel now has consumed me. I've been neglecting DC. What are your top three comics from the DCU? Uh, do we want to forgo the obvious? <laughs> but I don't know. You know, like you have to be reading Batman. There's there's no doubt uh, about that. So, uh, I mean, l- let's see if we can come up with three others other than Batman to, to put out there. Um, Stephanie, you want to go ahead? Um. Sure. DCU, um, I think right now, my favorite titles are, uh, and it, 
surprisingly, I love Batman, but it wouldn't involve Batman. It's mm. Animal, Animal Man, Swamp Thing, mm. and um, Aquaman. Mm. Good. Those are, those are a good three. Uh, I definitely agree about Aquaman. It's definitely uh, near the top of my list. Um, I I would I would say Batman and Robin as well. You should be reading Batman and Robin if you're a Batman fan at all. And you know, kind of tying into the whole you know Aquaman thing, Green Lantern as well is is just fantastic. And I think it's a book that everybody should be reading if they're into comics. So, Bob, what about you? Uh, I love Gail Simone's Batgirl. Absolutely. There you go. Uh, and for old fashioned fun, World's Finest can't mm-hmm. be beat. Yeah. Absolutely. I was loving Supergirl, but... Yeah. Let's see what happens once it's past this uh, yeah. hell on earth. Yeah, and a new writer coming. Uh, yeah, coming a new writer. I mean, I like Mike Johnson. He's been really good on that book. Uh, I think that, that event really kind of uh, messed it up in, yeah. in a lot Killed, of ways. It had great momentum, a lot of fun, very personal book. Yeah. That now turned into something that isn't that. Yeah. Blech. It's a shame for that. Steve? Uh, I'm going to be so useless on this. I am not... I'm looking through my pictures of my of my halls. I'm not really reading DC these days. Um, Swamp Thing and Animal Man are always a treat, and the bat. Uh, of course, the bat books. Batwoman. Batwoman is awesome. Oh yeah, yeah Batwoman's a good one to Batwoman, to throw in there. Batgirl. Um, let me uh, try to. I really have been slacking on my DC. You guys I, were liking Justice League Dark. Justice League Dark, yeah. Justice League oh, is very good. Yeah, I just started reading Justice League Dark again. I'm enjoying that, but. Um, for all it's worth, for when it was around, I really, really, really enjoyed uh, Frankenstein, mm-hmm. Agent of Shade. I yeah. really wish that more people had uh, gone out and supported this book because it was a lot of what I I love classic movie monsters. And it was very unique amongst the other bigger titles from DC. And... um. I really, I, I got to catch up with it a little bit, but I was really, really enjoying uh, Green Lantern, the mm-hmm. uh, the the core Green Lantern, not Green Lantern core, yeah, but the main yeah. mainline Green Lantern book. Um, really enjoying the position of the new Lantern, and I just I like that story and that that aspect. I think that his background adds a lot of uh, character to mm-hmm. his character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it also, um, obviously, we talked about it last week, I think, but or two weeks ago, Green Arrow, the new Green Arrow book. Mm-hmm. Uh, check that out. I mean, if you're new to the DCU, uh, this is probably something you'd probably really enjoy. Oh, and the vibe number one. I'm, I'm just kidding. It's not out yet. Well. Um, for <laughs> me, though, today. like I chose what I chose because those are books I never read before the DC yeah. New 52. Mm-hmm. And they were like, I love Batgirl. I love Batwoman. I love like so many other books in there. But they were steady for me. Like they were things that I wasn't surprised by how great they were because I already loved them. Mm -hmm. These were things I never thought to read and just was like completely wowed. So, I mean, that's just my two cents on that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a really good point. Um, uh, next from, uh, uh, at Chicago Wolf Rose says, uh, (laughs) what would you recommend to a three year old? Uh, my little man has rekindled my love for comics. He's an Avengers fan so far. I've got one. Go ahead. Superman Family Adventures. It is a wonderful, wonderful book. It is highly, highly visually pleasing. 
Uh, and it's something that I think the both of you would enjoy. It's it's much more than just a kid's book. In my opinion, until Scott Snyder's Superman lands on the shelves, it's the best Superman book that has come out of DC uh, for well over a year. And um, it's just, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'd recommend it to anyone that has uh, younger children. I, I mean, also... Sorry, go ahead, Stephanie. Oh, sorry. No. I didn't... Um, I I haven't read these to my nephews yet, but Tiny Titans. Oh yeah. Um, it's I mean even the art's just adorable. So I mean that's something same, that I, same team yeah, as same team. Uh, yeah Superman. yeah yeah exactly. So that's something that could easily be enjoyed by everyone. Mm-hmm. Um and just to give them a shout out, um that team that has put together those books has a new comic label called Oh Yeah Comics mm-hmm. that is going to be uh, coming out with a lot more kid friendly content. They're kind of just getting off the ground. So maybe give it like a few more months, but they're definitely somebody to watch out for. Uh, there's going to be a lot of releases for uh, that uh, age range and that audience mm-hmm. that you might uh, enjoy later down the line. Yeah. Didn't they just finish up a Kickstarter? They did, yeah. They did. They did. Uh, I'd say this, uh, it's not released on shelves, but JL8, mm-hmm. uh, it, it would be great. Um, that that book is I mean that well, that strip is really is high quality stuff um, you know a lot of the stuff I don't read a lot of it but a lot of stuff coming out of Kaboom is, is kid oriented Adventure Time Adventure Time so much fun um, a lot of other stuff that's coming out of there is, is yeah, kid oriented certainly so My Little Pony there's also, I guess. Yeah. There's also Bone um, mm-hmm. I said nephews before but I guess they're my cousins it doesn't really matter but anyways one of them's six and the youngest one's three and um for like the past little while, I've been going over there and reading them bone for bedtime. And I, I really thought that it would be more appropriate for Joshua, who's six, but his little brother, Lucas, again, the three-year-old, he will come and sit with me and he doesn't really understand what's going on, but he loves the pictures and he <laughs> loves, you know, it being read and both him and his brother, I find just really enjoy it. And it's a fun story that you'll like if you haven't read it. <laughs> And uh, your kids can enjoy as well. Mm-hmm. So, and that's been around for a really long time. So, yeah. Yeah. Bob, you got anything? I mean, it could be anything. I mean, it well, doesn't have to be well, something that's on the shelves right well, now. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. There are a lot of older books. There's still those superhero squads that were mm-hmm. based on the cartoon. Marvel did something called Marvel Adventures some years back. And they were generally done in one stories of the real superheroes told slightly younger. Mm-hmm. So it might be slightly too old for a three, but probably fine for a five or a six. Mm-hmm. And it was Fantastic Four and Avengers and Cap and everybody you'd imagine and interacting. And it was a great gateway to regular books. Mm -hmm. You'd you'd get the form, you'd understand how comic books work and what these characters mean to each other. Yeah. And you were saying My Little Pony got kind of cut off, but My Little Pony would be a great one as well. Great for you because it's very witty. uh, Oh, it's awesome. But My Little Pony is something that is universal to kids as well, Mm so... Um, correct me if I'm wrong on the title, but the, uh, Franklin Richard, uh, adventures, boy, genius, boy, genius, um, very Calvin and Hobbes art, very funny and, um, very visual that even if the, um, even if the writing of it gets to be a little daunting at times, maybe not comprehend everything, the art is playful and funny enough that you can get the the idea of the story through the pictures. And shorter stories in each issue. It's generally with three or four little ones in each. Right. Cool. All right. There's a lot of good ideas there. Um, <clears throat> this is from John D. He says, hey, TC crew. After listening to the latest podcast and hearing of the newest DC cancellations, it had me thinking, 
Do you think DC's insistence on having 52 active titles helps or hinders its overall product? On one hand, I think expanding 52 titles allows for stuff like Sword and Sorcery to even exist, but at the same time, it seems unfair for low-selling titles to be cut short, just to make room for new titles that aren't sellers either. It seems like DC can't give these struggling titles a fair shot at finding their audience because they're always pushing new titles down the pipeline and insists on making room for them uh, lest they publish over 52 titles. Feels like a bizarre restriction to put on the company. Steve, yes. What do you think? <laughs> um, I do happen to think that 52 titles is a bit much, especially seeing some of the things that have been announced in, in lieu of the cancellations or whatever the word I'm looking for is. Mm. Uh, stuff like the vibe or katana that you just you just know are not going to sell. You know it. Um, not to mention that, I mean, word of mouth, I mean, Katana, nobody mm-hmm. that, I, that I've talked to enjoyed it at all, you know, mm. remotely. I didn't hate it. No, but, you know, it's just... So I enjoyed it kind of remotely. <laughs> <laughs> well, the majority reaction that I've gotten from people over the past few days, and not just that book, but just... Having so many titles and and canceling things and shifting things around, I understand that if something doesn't sell, you want to try to get a book that will. But DC doesn't really seem to be getting too much outside of its core characters. I mean, even some of the you know more obscure Bat books are starting to suffer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if I mean I think we discussed this maybe about what we could you know what DC could do to change their situation, but maybe um, I don't know, uh, just taking away some of the titles and focusing on the ones that are the winners and are are making are put them on the map. That's I, that's what I would do. But then you know you, I just feel like new characters they don't even get the chance, and I think that that's a shame. Mm-hmm. So I know that I don't I won't buy the majority of what they've replaced these books with, I have no intentions Mm -hmm. of like, it's like what you like, you just asked me to pick out three titles and I picked out ones that I've been reading since last year. Like I don't Mm -hmm. have anything DC that I'm feverishly reading outside of the bat books. Mm -hmm. So Uh, it strikes me. There's this, Oh, go ahead, Steph. No, 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 go ahead. It strikes me. There's this sort of churn as if it's a filter at the bottom of a fish tank. The water at the top is clear and it's Batman and those books, Mm -hmm. justice league. And underneath there's this ever changing 10 or 12 titles. Mm -hmm. Cancel this, bring this, cancel that one too. And just, Mm -hmm. uh, and they're trying crossovers. That's what the whole new justice league Mm -hmm. is about. Uh, and so maybe that sort of idea, but maybe we need anthology books Mm -hmm. or the, Canceling DC Presents was probably not the greatest idea. However, it sold, which wasn't well. Mm-hmm. If you could introduce a new character, give them a little bit of a head start so that people saw who they were, how they work with the rest of the universe, then publish a single book in the way they did back in the old days with your know, Brave and Bold and Showcase, maybe you'd have something. Mm-hmm. Or introduce them digitally mm-hmm. and then put them into a real book. Yeah, I think that, um, just really quick, I, just, I think they could go... Like what Bob just said, I think they could do a better job of going about and introducing their characters. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, Stephanie read Katana, but I mean, I haven't. I mean, if somebody put it in my hand, I would check it out. But there's no there's no lead in. You you have to just you spend your money on it and you just you know, you trust them or you just take the gamble. Mm -hmm. I think that if they did a little bit of a better job of guesting these characters 
making them appealing and then you know guess what they're gonna have their own series i just think that if they had a little bit of better planning that their their d-list and c-list character books might sell a little bit better at least in the beginning Mm -hmm. you know i don't know i don't necessarily agree with that i think a lot of it is well i mean i do fault marketing to an extent on this and i fault a lot of the titling as well like we talked about i vampire Mm. and how for me unappealing that title is and i avoided it until you guys said you need to read this Mm. but like i i don't think it's a fault that they have 52 books like look at marvel they have like 52 avengers books (laughs) like and people still buy those Mm -hmm. it's because they're big titles and the fact is indie books don't always sell as good as you know batman Mm -hmm. and it's always a gamble. It's not, I don't think it necessarily has anything to do with marketing. It has everything to do with people not willing to take a risk on a book they're unfamiliar with, whether there's promotions for it or not. It's always like, it's just something that is inevitable. Like Mm -hmm. if you have five books that you can pick out every week and you read Batman, uh, Batgirl, Swamp Thing, Animal Man, and, you know, whatever from the DC, you're not going to go out on a limb and buy, you know, like, I, I it's oh. just, I, I don't know. Maybe they could not necessarily do, they have Vertigo as their independent comics, and they have DC, obviously, which is, you know, the big thing, but maybe they could have something, another imprint um, right. that kind of is the superhero stuff that doesn't really tie into the major DC characters, but doesn't fall into the Vertigo realm either. Mm-hmm. And that would be something that could possibly gain them more interest because somebody would be devoted to promoting that company and right. being like, here's our titles. This is why you should read this mm-hmm. because these books, you can't tie into Batman. Katana is not going to come into Batman. Mm-hmm. You're not going to see that character in that series and be like, fuck yeah, I'm going to read that. <laughs> like, yeah. Because the focus is always going to be Batman. Someone yeah. like Harper Rowe taking the attention away from, you know, the main character in Batman, was it 12? Yeah, 12. Is a rare thing. Mm-hmm. I would read a Harper Rowe book, but yeah. that's rare. That is yeah. a rare thing to happen. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think maybe if we're going to talk about detrimental, they could cut back. But I think a new imprint would be a way to get those other titles out there better. You have to be careful, though, that you don't get a wise then an entire company that well, you yeah. could then say, well, I don't have to read any of those because they don't ever interconnect with the other ones. Yeah, I mean, well, basically they got rid of that when they got rid of Wildstorm. Yes. Wildstorm was that imprint for them in, in a lot of ways, even though it was another company, obviously, that they bought, but it it was a series of superheroes that didn't really intersect with their mainline stuff. I mean, I think, and I think what John is kind of saying a little bit is that it's not the issue that 52 is too many, it's that they have this hard cap at 52 where they can't let a book like Vibe or Katana, even if it's great, keep going because they got to bring something else in to replace it and they had to take something else out, you know? I think that, you know, I think DC can be applauded for the fact that they are willing to go to bat and risk money on characters that nobody knows about. You know, this Vibe book, we make fun of it. It could end up being a great book. We have no idea, you know? Um, I, Vampire, even though it's getting canceled, got eight, is getting 18, 20 issues, and it was a great book, you know? I, uh, uh, 
Frankenstein Agent of Shade got canceled, but it got a you know got like thirteen issues or so, sixteen, or 16 issues. So you got a year and a half of stories out of that book, and that's not a book that you would think would ever exist and wouldn't exist if they weren't willing to kind of try to cycle in these titles. Plus, um, sorry, Stephanie, go ahead. Plus, those are like those were writers that weren't as well known, and now because they've had a book in the DCU, mm. they're putting out bigger and better titles that people do buy and love, mm. and we get better and fresh writers out there every day because of these titles. Yeah. I mean, listen, you, you if you were to tell me from the, an outside perspective as a person that there's a Hawkeye book out, if I didn't know anything about it, why would I want to read it? That's a D, that's a D-list character to me. It's the guy who shoots arrows, you know? But Marvel mm. does such a better job of, A, they're, they're much better at promoting their full stable of creative talent and making them all a big deal. You know, they know that even though Iron Fist was a failure for them, you know, um, commercially, that it drew a very big following creatively. And they go, okay, the guys who did that book are there. We already know we have this many sales. So all we have to do now is make it look really cool and people are going to at least check it out. And then it's so good that people are going to talk about it. Um, The problem, I think, with DC is that, you know, and they're getting better at it now, obviously, but you've got to you got to put somebody on vibe or somebody on katana that makes people go oh shit like this guy is writing it or this person's drawing it i need to read this book you know you know that's uh, you know animal man and swamp thing are, are you know obviously have been major characters in their time but are not super well-known characters to the mass audience and have hit a, a bigger audience because of the creative teams behind them mm-hmm. you know you know, we say now, oh, we're reading Animal Man and Swamp Thing and we don't have time for this. But in the past, it would have been something else. It would have been, I'm reading this and this. I have no time for Animal Man or Swamp Thing. Uh, I do think it's a puzzle that they bring characters like Vibe in and they bring characters like Katana in. And they seem unwilling to bring characters that people seem to want back into the universe. Where's the Adam or the Martian Manhunter? Yeah. Or, yeah. You know, where's Stephanie Brown? Where's Wally West? Where are these characters that everybody wants to see? Where have they gone and why aren't you featuring them over characters that nobody seems to want. Um, and most of them seem to be, if not creative failures, middling creatively. You know, mm-hmm. I thought Sword and Sorcery was pretty good, but I didn't think it was good enough to keep on my poll list. You know what I mean? So I, I think that's the problem. I think John is right, though. I think 52 is, a, at this point now, a couple of years out, it's, you can relax that that restriction mm-hmm. uh, on the books. Um yeah, so that is it for our, our listener feedback. Um, guys, thank you so much for that. Again, um, if you're not going to listen to the, our Batman conversation, which comes after the break, it's info at TalkingComicBooks.com, uh, at TalkingComics on Twitter, or Facebook.com slash uh, TalkingComics. And of course, TalkingComicBooks.com is uh, the website. Uh, but right now, we're going to talk about what is on the shelves today for all of you to read. Um, and watch our money go out the window. Get my woohoos ready. There's a lot of them today. All right. From Boom Studios, we have Adventure Time number 13. Woohoo. Uh, Clive Barker's Hellraiser Dark Watch number one, and Fanboys vs. Zombies number 11. Wow. <clears throat> um, from Dark Horse, uh, we have BPRD 1948 number five of five. Sweet. We have Baltimore, The Widow, and The Tank one shot. We have Black Beetle, No Way Out number two of four. Conan the Barbarian, number 13. Dark Horse Presents, number 21. Uh, we have Mind Management, number 8. Yeah. Uh, we have number 13, number 3. Um, 
from DC. <laughs> from DC Comics, we have Action Comics number seventeen. Uh, we have Batman Beyond Unlimited number thirteen. We have Batwoman number seventeen. Yes. We have Birds of Prey number seventeen. Catwoman number seventeen. Meow. DC Universe presents number seventeen, which is focusing on Arsenal, uh, Roy Harper, and I believe James Tinian is writing it. Uh, we have Babel's number 126, yeah. uh, Green Lantern number 17, Green Lantern Corps number 17, Green Lantern New Guardians number 17, <laughs> Wow. Uh, Hellblazer number 300, which is the final issue of Hellblazer, uh, before he's going to come back in his uh, Constantine series, JSA The Liberty Files, The Whistling Skull number 3 of 6, Justice League number 17, Justice League of America number 1 and all its 52 variant <laughs> covers. Damn. Justice League of America's Vibe, number one. Legion of Superheroes, number 17. Uh, Nightwing, number 17. Sweet. Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 17. Sweet. Supergirl, number 17. Sword of Sorcery, number five. Uh, Wonder Woman, number 17. And Young Justice, number 25, which is the final issue. Uh, From Dynamite, we have Bionic Woman, number eight. Deja Thoris and the Green Men of Mars, number one. (laughs) Lord of the Jungle, number 13. Shadow, Year One, number one. Mm. Uh, Sherlock Holmes, Liverpool Demon, number two. Spider, number nine. And Vampirella, number 26. From IDW, we have Alan Roberts, Killology, number three. Borderlands Origins, number four. Chasing the Dead, number four. Um, Sorry? Fever Ridge, A Tale of MacArthur's Jungle War, number one. (laughs) G.I. Joe, number one. Godzilla, number 10. Hollows, number three. Jericho Season 4, number two. Jinrise, number two. Judge Dredd, number four. Kill Shakespeare, The Tide of Blood, number one. <laughs> Lock and Key Omega, number three. Yeah. Magic the Gathering, Path of Vengeance, number three. My Little Pony Micro Series, number one, Twilight Sparkle. Yeah. Written by Tom Zoller of Love and Capes. Nice. Uh, Popeye Classics, number seven. Star Trek, number 18. Star Trek Countdown to Darkness, number two. Teenage Mutant Turtles, number 19. Transformers Prime, Rage of the Dinobots, number four. Vitriol, The Hunter, number one, and Womanthology Space, number five. Yep. Uh, and I believe Hanny was the cover artist of awesome. that particular show. Mm. That's the last one. So if you've been collecting it, this is uh, this is the time to complete your collection. Uh, from Image, we have Happy, number four of four. It Girl in the Atomics, number seven. Yeah. Revival, number seven. Yeah. Saga, number ten. Yeah. Spawn, number 228. Um, oh, yeah. Thief of Thieves, number 12. Yeah. And that is it for Image. From Marvel, we, we have go. Alpha Big Time, number one. Avengers, number six. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have Captain America, number four. Captain Marvel, oh, number 10. Can I just jump in here yes. real quickly? I had someone write me after I wrote my uh, little mm-hmm. piece about Captain Marvel. Uh, they were concerned that in the May solicitations, there was no Captain Marvel listed. Ah. So reached out to Kelly Sue, who says the crossover that prelude that leads into the Avengers Assemble Captain Marvel crossover, which is called The Enemy Within, takes its place for that month. But Captain Marvel is not canceled. All right. Good to know. Uh, Daredevil, number 23. Yeah. Dark Avengers, number 187. Yeah. Deadpool, number five. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Indestructible Hulk, number four. Yeah. Uh, Morbius, the Living Vampire, number two. Yeah. Nova, mm-hmm. number one. Yeah. Uh, Savage Wolverine, number two. Yeah. Superior mm. Spider-Man, number four. Thor, God of Thunder, number five. Sweet. Ultimate Comics, The Ultimates, number 21. Um, Wolverine Max, number four. X-Factor, number two, Sweet. 52. 
awesome. well as X Factor Volume 18, Breaking Point Straper Back yes. is out this week as well. From Oni Press, we have Merman Volume 1, Out of Water. Merman. Uh, Sixth Gun, number 29. Oh, I thought it was about Ethel Merman. <laughs> See, I'd have bought that yeah. one. Sixth Gun, oh, well. Sons of the Gun, number one of five. Thanks for clearing that up, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> from Valiant, we have Harbinger number nine and Exo Man of War number ten. And from Grim Fairy Tales, we have Grim Fairy Tales presents. Sorry, from Xenoscope, we have Grim Fairy Tales presents num- Wonderland number eight. Really, this should, should, should be called the Grim Fairy Tales. <laughs> I think I got the black lung pop. <laughs> 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 I'm a good Merman. <laughs> I'm a good you Googleizer. All right, so uh, that is it for kind of the mini show. Now the show isn't over yet, guys. We have a whole other section where we're going to be talking about uh, in depth about Batman, Death of the Family, the whole arc. So if you guys are caught up on that and don't mind being spoiled, stay tuned after this. We are back, and so we're going to be talking about the conclusion of Death of the Family. Uh, just so you guys know, after you hear us talk about it, you can hear the man himself talk about it, Scott Snyder. The interview with him will come out on Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for now, we kind of wanted to talk about our opinions about the book and what we thought about this whole event and everything that went around it, all that good stuff without kind of the influence of the writer of the book uh, in, in <laughs> our minds. Yeah. Uh, it was perfect. <laughs> you're amazing. Yeah. So, um, well, this way, if we say something, it looks like we thought of it. The other exactly, way around. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so just so everybody knows, um, this is going to be very spoilery. So if you guys haven't read it or don't want to know what happens, uh, you probably, probably tune out now. Um, that's kind of why we did everything else before this part of the show so that you guys could get a full show and not have to you know, worry about spoilers. Uh, also, you know, we're not going to really specifically talking about maybe all the events that happen in the kind of satellite books around it, but that stuff might come up as well. So if you're worried about, you know, any, hearing anything about Batgirl or Batman and Robin or Nightwing or uh, what have you, also just be aware because, you know, we might kind of slip into that stuff as well. But we're mainly going to be talking about, you know, the mainline uh, Batman book. Yeah, go run out and read the books and come back. We'll yeah, be yeah. here. There's only uh, five issues, so you're going to yeah. jump in, read it, l- make it happen, and then come back and listen to us talk about uh, Batman Death of the Family. Uh, so, you know, obviously this is Scott Snyder's second big arc here uh, with Batman after Court of the Owls. And, you know, it was very hyped, using the Joker, now a, a known villain other other than creating a villain. And we've talked about just about every issue as we've gone along here, but, uh, you know, now all the theories and everything are done, and we're, you know here to talk about actually what happened now you know before we get into specifics just in generalities uh steve what did you think Eh. no i'm kidding (laughs) it was i it's funny i i've been enjoying it the whole time you know reading it issue by issue as it's been coming out and then when issue number 17 came out i kind of had to do a little bit of a song and dance to get my hands on it and when i did i think I was kind of taken aback by how it ended mm-hmm. I was um it's it's hard when you when you read the the end of something 
it's very easy to jump to not to conclusions but like to read it and then quickly formulate an opinion and i've just found that this is something that you really can't do that i mean you Mm -hmm. can but you'd be cheating yourself of really exploring the ending and so today uh i did my damnedest to go back to the beginning and read the five issues or thumb through them or whatever and Rereading it and reading it as one whole thing and one whole story, uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I really did. Uh, as far as it being a worthy Joker story in the history of Batman, I think that it's done its job admirably. It's super creepy. It's not. It's a little bit more than something that you've seen before, at least from what I've read in the past. And I have read several like classic Joker stories. And it was really sinister and very psychological. And I think the the lasting effects that it's going to have on the family itself and how they function and how they trust and, and things like that is really going to come into play in the aftermath. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a couple of characters kind of drop off in loyalty uh, a little bit in the future. Yeah. Either that or just going to bring them closer together and then the Joker doesn't win at all. Right. Um. But the you know the last issue kind of threw me through a loop about three times where I expected to know what was going on and I was wrong on all accounts. Yeah, and I was very I was happy that I was wrong because I had formulated all kinds of things even in my own time without discussing them with people, and I really didn't guess much of any anything but maybe two things, but everything else was was completely fresh and new and uh, it was really exciting. Yeah, so those are. Pretty much my thoughts. Okay. Bob, what about you? Eh, and I'm not kidding. <laughs> um, I just don't see the consequences there. I thought the issue was really well done. I thought the switch on what could have been the gruesome thing that we expected, it was nice to pull back from all the violence that was being hyped all the way through. But I just don't see how these characters, granted it's a new universe and they've only been together however many years, they're all saying, Batman has trained these people. They're understanding of the role they all play in the bat family and and how all this works together the sort of person the joker is and because of something he whispers to them they're gonna just throw batman under the bus i just don't kind of get that now that may have to as you're saying steve may have to come back around where they decide oh maybe it's not such a big deal but it strikes me as more the illusion of change than the change itself that i thought we were going to be promised i i mean there were characters we thought in harm's way Mm-hmm. Certainly, we all figured Alfred at least to be blinded or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, for a while, I was I was figuring, well, maybe they'll put Barbara back into the chair. We'll have Oracle back, and they'll bring back Stephanie Brown. There's been talk of her reappearing. Mm-hmm. Um, art is really creepy. Story is really well done. I don't want it to sound as if I'm saying, "Though no, this is a terrible book." I'm not. It's just I expected for all the buildup a bigger finish, bigger bang I, for the finish. I definitely agree with you, Bob. I, Thank I, you, Steph. It it just felt like a bit of a cop out on a bit of on a few of the points in the book. Well, continue, Stephanie. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I was gonna. I didn't know if Bob was done. I didn't. No, know I'm done. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I just felt like like what Bob said. It was just very. There didn't seem to be a lot of um, reward for the time put into reading it. It was just kind of like, oh, it's over with. It just felt to me that there should have been more of. Just more. I guess, like, I ex- I didn't expect. I thought definitely that someone was going to pass away and die. And I guess maybe in the end, the whole 
point of it was not death in the family. It was death of the family. And there's just mm-hmm. this rift among everyone. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't like how Batman acts when the Joker is the main villain. Um, I think the Joker is a great villain and obviously Batman is a great character, but when, I mean, and you can't really have, um, I mean, a Joker story without Batman. So I don't really see how this would work, you know, separately, but like, I I just don't dig their chemistry. I don't like how Batman doesn't act like himself. I mean, I get that the Joker gets under his skin and that's kind of the point, but he's not my favorite villain. He just, it's not as enjoyable of a read for me when he's involved. So I, I don't know. I it's just a, felt like there should have been more. That's an interesting take. Cause it's, you know, it's, I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever heard anyone with the opinion, uh, uh, that opinion before, you know, and that's like a fundamental level thing that you can't really change. Cause the, the Joker and Batman have a certain chemistry. And if you don't like that chemistry, mm-hmm. it's kind of tough to get out of it. I will say this, you know, about obviously my, my reviews on the site. I love the book. I, I think I love the storyline. Uh, and the thing I'll, you know, Baba, it's interesting what you said, because when you first told me you were disappointed about, you know, the, the ending and how you expected more, uh, it's interesting to, to, to see that your problem isn't with the proposed, you know, now rift because your, your problem is kind of, you don't believe that rift is real. No, it's more of a tiff than a rift. Okay. So, you know, for me personally, like, you know, I'm going to, we've, we've gone through 18 issues now with the zero, including zero issue. And, uh, you know, Snyder has never really let me down yet in paying off the things that he set up and, you know, committing to the difficult questions he he raises up, you know. So I do believe that I think that the whole point of this is to create this, you know, this rift and to have it a, a kind of a long standing problem. And it might not, not probably not every character. I don't see how Damien doesn't come back to the fold more quickly than other characters. Mm-hmm. But at the end of this book, it seems like Dick's leaving, you know, for a while. You know, you know, you can definitely see Tim not being Tim's not part of the Batman universe, you know, so succinctly because you know he's off with the Titans a lot of the time. You know, there's not been a lot of crossover with Batgirl even in in, in the Batman books yet either in the Super Fifty Two. And you can definitely see your issues. You know, the the thing that's most interesting to me, especially with James Tinian taking over the book is what's going to happen with T- Jason Todd. Because of all the characters to me, he's the one that I feel would most be angry at Bruce. You know, the Joker killed him, for God's sakes. And th- there's stuff that Bruce has been keeping from them about the Joker, this possible knowing their identities, blah, blah, whatever. I can see how that rift is going to go. Um, I do think that, you know, as far as whatever the Joker whispered to them and told them about Batman, or whatever he did, you know... Uh, I do believe that, you know, or even if it's anything, even if it's not, it could just be the, the, this whole long situ- this situation that happened drove in the way. Maybe it's another game by the Joker saying he whispered something is going to drive Bruce crazy about, you know, what got said to him in the dark. And, you know, he, it's maybe it's nothing. But, uh, you know, I, I do feel like that is going to be brought up later on. I do feel like it, he's he's kind of, it's dangerous to do that because, the thing we're imagining he he says to them is going to be so much crazier than probably what he actually says to them. It's going to take a lot of a really something really amazing to really get us, you know, to really pay off that that thing. 
Um, I think I would. Uh, I think I would be more concerned if Scott Snyder wasn't on the book. Right. Beyond this, mm-hmm. that somebody else is going to be taking the reins and and kind yeah. of running with this story. Mm-hmm. But the idea that he's on the book for at least another what thirteen issues, maybe yeah, he's more. He's said, but he's it's he has no ending date right now. Okay. Yeah. Um. So with that in mind, he's obviously going to build off of this, mm-hmm. and you know, just like many writers that they're they're on books for a long time. They have a vision. Mm-hmm. Like I have no doubt that just like like somebody like Jonathan Hickman, how he mm-hmm. plans out you know all of uh, FF, that Scott set this all up so that he could you know take off with it later and do more things with the characters mm-hmm. and have more emotional marks and and things and also. Bob was mentioning a couple of things earlier about the Joker and his identity and things that maybe kind of could be left up for question or unanswered. And I think that that, I mean, maybe we can talk about that in a second, but that was like one of my things that I really liked about it was that there is, even after it's over, I still feel like there is an air of mystery Mm -hmm. about it. I don't, I, I agree like on a bunch of points that you've made, Mm -hmm. but I agree that I also still the whole time, I haven't felt, 100% 100% satisfied. There's like a 0.1% that's leaving me suspicious mm-hmm. uh, as to his actual identity. Right. It's just, it's, it. oh, go ahead, Steph. Oh, no, go ahead, finish up. No, I just, it's just, it's. it was such a radical version of the Joker. Not to say that you can't write him to be a psychopath. That's what he is. But the mask thing, is, is there another face underneath? Is it his? You know, like there's just... There's aspects to that that were never like concrete, solidified. Right. But I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that air of mystery about it. It still confuses me, but I it's almost confusion that or a question that I enjoy mm-hmm. leaving it up to question as yeah. opposed to having a concrete answer. Right. Well, I know you had you said before that you weren't hundred percent sure before this arc finished yeah. that it was the Joker. But I mean, for me I feel like it was pretty cemented in there that this is the Joker. Um, like, I mean, he knows so much more about Batman than any other villain. And I don't think, um, anyone else would have that kind of, um, desire to know Batman like that. Right. Like, I, I, I think it really is the Joker, but I mean, at the same time, it, it just, to me, the whole thing about this was the family, but I didn't feel like the other books or even the other Bat characters in the Batman books really brought the story together i didn't feel they were relevant like i feel like this should have just been exclusively a batman story because i mean the other one the other characters were essentially just hostages to me and it it just didn't maybe i would have felt differently if this had just exclusively again been a batman story do you Mm -hmm. know what i'm trying to say right but you can read you know just the batman book just batman 13 through 17 yes yes I'm, and and I, not even have to worry about those other books you know and that's kind of the the point of them uh i, do I th- just mean yeah sorry go ahead Stephanie. i just mean more like um not that the other tie-in books um i guess more along the lines of i mean uh that they were even kind of brought into this i feel like the joker and batman the whole point of it was to hash this out one-on-one and i get that the Joker needed leverage to kind of get uh, Batman to play his game. But at the same time, I just felt like they didn't really have a place in the story. 
I mean, I I disagree w- with that. I mean, I, I think that you can't. Th- obviously, Batman is focused on Batman, and you can't. You're not going to spend time with Dick and all these other characters. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're seeing them through the eyes of Bruce and what they mean to him. You know what I mean? I don't think they're meant to be. You know, uh, it's, it's in this main story pushing the story along because that's the job of the Joker and and Batman to do. Mm-hmm. Not really. You know, Nightwing and Red Hood mm. and, you know, Red Robin and all these other characters because they have their own stories to tell. And if you read their books, I think you get at least psychological uh, payoffs for what's going on with them. But then if your payoff at the end of this issue is going to be this rift, mm-hmm. um, a couple of panels in the Batcave where they're grousing about he didn't tell them or they were, did the Joker get in the Batcave yeah. and what does he know when he doesn't know isn't enough build up then on that part of this storyline that they're all so angry that they'll all just walk away. I mean, I think that there's enough intonated in what happens in the shadows for it to have paid off for me. I I did not feel cheated uh, at the end. Sorry, Stephanie, go ahead. There's just a lot of contradiction to me because, um, I mean, there was that big thing where uh, they talk about how Bruce Wayne went to see the Joker at Arkham Asylum and Mm. he just went and... Batman and the Joker didn't care that he essentially revealed himself because he had Mm -hmm. no interest in knowing who Batman was. Mm -hmm. But then they make this really big deal out of, you know, oh my God, he has all of our identities. But they've also made this really big deal of, oh my God, he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, but Mm -hmm. I think that, but that's a (laughs) a good point. No, but that's a plot thing that Scott is using, Snyder is using because Bruce knows that. Bruce knows that he doesn't care and he's trying to tell the other people you know, listen, you don't understand him the way I understand him. He doesn't care who we are. He doesn't have our identities. He doesn't know who we are. And it's these other characters not, you know, willing to take that leap with Bruce. But now, the two sentences there, not to be a, a mm-hmm. grammar teacher or whatever, um, he does say to them he doesn't know our identities. Yeah. If, he, if he had said to them he doesn't care, he might know but doesn't care, that might have stopped there from being a rift. That well, then maybe, is a, but that's. I'm. I'm. I'm, yeah, but, uh, I'm sure. Right, Scott, but I'm sure Scott. Scott's not an okay. idiot. Snyder's not an idiot. I'm sure that he's. Yeah, but I didn't think of that until Stephanie just right. said it. You I'm just not, said I'm, it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure he does know what he's doing. I have like tons of faith in Scott Snyder as a writer. He's one of the people I would follow into any series. I don't read Superman, but I fully intend to read his series. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mm-hmm. have faith that he knows what he's doing in this, but at the same time, for me, there was still those little plot holes like that one I just mentioned. Like, it just didn't add up for me. Maybe it will add up eventually in the long run, and this will all kind of be, you know, right. I'll go, oh, remember that time when I said all that? <laughs> but, I mean, for me right now, it just, it didn't seem like, it seemed like separate um, contradictions. It didn't seem like something that they did to later hash out. It just seemed like they didn't pick up on it for me. Do well, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, it just I do know what like you're trying oversight. to say, but I think in, it, I'm just saying, like, having just read it again today, all five issues, it's clear throughout the thing that, you know, Bruce is constantly being like, I, I know that he doesn't, like, he doesn't know who we are. He doesn't know who you are. Trust me. And they're like, no, he knows who we are. They're going to find out who we are. You know what I mean? And the whole time, Batman is very the same note about what he, he is unwavering, you know, about okay. them knowing who, who he is, you know? And it's them, the other characters, the, the other family characters that are distrusting of that. And that's part, I think, of why the rift works. Because there's because Bruce 
has left out information that he thinks they don't need to know, that he thinks they won't be able to handle, it drives a rift because that because Joker is exploiting things that he knows that Batman would not tell the people in his family, you know? And, and you, you know that about anything. If I don't tell you something and then somebody else uses it against me, as benign as it might be, that's something you can turn against, against someone. That's something that's used in literature all of the time, you know? That's all I'm saying. I don't mm. think that's a plot hole. Okay. I, uh, that's all I'm saying. I, I, that's all I'm saying. Steve. Well, that's fair enough. <laughs> no, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> No, I, I think everybody's got really good. Everybody's bringing a lot of good stuff to the table. Um, I'm just I didn't a cheerleader. Hate it. No, I know, oh, Stephanie. And I, I absolutely, I'm not. I don't think you did. You know, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, I was. Uh, you know, it's interesting because it was not what I expected it to be. You know, and we. I, you know, I think Steve, you were talking about that, and uh, I know that you and I had a conversation with our friend Rob, and you've had this conversation mm-hmm. with him too. That you know, he kind of let us imagine what the worst possible things were going to be and then he played off of those things completely right you know um and for me at the end the fact that the death of the family meant the death of this family you know as a unit as a unit meant more to me than someone dying or someone increasing bodily harm because we talk about this a lot right we talk about how in comic books when people die it doesn't really matter because they're gonna bring them back you know Mm -hmm. and it you know it, it so I, I feel like the emotional stuff is the interpersonal stuff is the only really big change that you can affect. And if you look back at kind of these other, the, at least the big Joker storylines I've read, you know, um, excluding death in the family, of course, where they, they killed a character by fan vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, obviously in Killing Joke, something very bad happens to Barbara, but no major character dies there. You know, uh, Arkham Asylum, no major character dies you know, to be fair, technically, in The Killing Joke, Batgirl dies. Okay. she becomes yeah. Oracle. Okay. <laughs> to be fair. Nicely played, yeah. Well, that's not actually even true because just the Barbara Gordon version of Batgirl dies. There are more Batgirls after Barbara Gordon. Okay. Well, technically. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, uh. I, I found it interesting that a lot of people reacted that way to this story, no one dying. When a lot of times you look, at these, look back at these stories there's not a lot of death in those stories either. You know what I mean? Um, and I think it's funny that he basically told us what the end was going to be with the announcement of the title of the, of the run, you know, but um, Bobby, you have more to say about the book? Well, just, I, I'm happy that no one's dead. I right. mean, I was complaining about that at the start. I'm yeah. just, I don't think we've had enough set up for this payoff. Hmm. Where I, I just don't think there's been enough groundwork laid, though it may come afterwards, as Steve is saying, that down the road five months, it'll be, oh, we now see what Jason did or Barbara did mm. on their own, and the coming back together will then reflect what went wrong. But we we set up those expectations for one thing, gave another great little trick. Mm-hmm. certainly is. I, and I, I know, and I'm reading back through it, and they were, he's talking about, I think, it's, I think it's an issue three, starts out with him talking about the Joker's eyes. And how they don't dilate, they don't get bigger or smaller, and but the moment where and throughout the book, sometimes one of his eyes is big, one of his eyes is small. Mm-hmm. The only moment where both of his eyes change is that moment where he Batman says that he knows who he really is, mm-hmm. and both his eyes get huge. Yeah, and I just thought it was that was a really great both a writing moment and an art moment in, in that book, and, and you know that moment, where, you know he's I I've broken the spell. He's like you know I don't care about the fun anymore. I love that. And that's what he's saying. You know, this is how we're going to end it. Not I'm going to kill you. Not you're going to kill me. This is the way we end it. I break your your charade. You know, 
Um, I love that. And I love that when he said, when Joker almost falls in the waterfall, you know, mm-hmm. and he says, not, not like this, not by accident, you mm-hmm. know? And I thought that was great. And it also brings back that moment about the Batcave, I mean, in the Batcave and saying, this is where you turn back, you know? And, you know, him knowing what he was talking mm-hmm. about and, and stuff like that. I, I thought those were great payoffs for those, those story moments. Um, we talked a lot about the writing, but I mean, uh, Stephanie, what'd you think of the art throughout the, the book? I don't think there's ever anything you can say bad again about like Greg Capullo's art. He works so well with Scott Snyder. And I remember when we first interviewed Scott, he talked about how Greg and him really didn't get along at first and they uh, really grew into a team and friends. And I think that shows in their art that they really play off each other and they trust each other to make the right calls with the panels and, you know, what kind of comes out of them from what Scott gives Greg. Um, he just does such a phenomenal job that I can't imagine anyone else drawing uh, these pages for Scott. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Bob, what about you? Well, that's the creepiest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, it really makes you feel you're looking in on something you shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. It's, it's part Silence of the Lambs, obviously, with faces off. Yeah. But yeah. Y- go ahead, please. Oh, I was just going to say, like, adding on to the creepy bit you were just saying, it's funny because the two creepiest artists and art that I've seen in comic books both come from Scott Snyder's world. American <laughs> Vampire with Raphael Albuquerque and mm-hmm. Greg Capullo. Yeah. But anyway, sorry, Bob, carry on. No, you're saying it all. That's, <laughs> yeah, I'm good to go. <laughs> Steve, what, do you, what about you? Well, of course I love it. <laughs> How could I not? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are, as, as amazing as it is, it's funny that there are things mentioned throughout the story or thing dialogue by the Joker. I would have loved, even if it was, uh, like a one shot or a, or like a two parter or mm-hmm. something to see him going about during that year mm-hmm. and doing whatever it was that he was doing. Yeah. I don't think you've seen the last of that part of the story. No, but I'm saying like, he mentions one thing to, to commissioner Gordon at yeah. one point yeah. that he was underneath his bed. Yeah. <laughs> and I was talking about that a couple of days ago and I said, could you imagine, like, could you just, and like, he was supposed to like, nobody knew where he was. He was gone. Imagine if you found out that the Joker was <laughs> laying underneath your bed as you were sleeping at night and, you know, sliding out from under it, going about your house, like, like some kind of, you know, clown boogeyman, finding out all of your secrets and not even like escaping out of the house, but like crawling back underneath the bed mm-hmm. that like your snores or your, your breathing is like some kind of a rhythm for him that helps him sleep in some sadistic yeah. way. <laughs> and um, just at, at any point that he mm-hmm. could have taken someone out and didn't yeah. that he just, he, he knows how to take his time. Mm-hmm. And um, in regard to the art, with all that said, it would have been really, really cool to have just one panel of like Gordon in his place sleeping or whatnot, and just a silhouette of what looked like shoes underneath the bed that could have been just passed off mm-hmm. as like, oh, those are just Gordon's, mm-hmm. you know, work <laughs> shoes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that it was actually the Joker underneath right. the bed that if you went back after he gives that line and you went back to, mm-hmm. you know, issue mm-hmm. number or whatever yeah. that you were like, you look at that panel and you're like, holy <laughs> shit. Yeah. Like there's like a little glint underneath the, mm-hmm. the sheets or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, truly creepy stuff. Very affecting, very moving. Um, Greg Capullo's expressions are just amazing. Even yeah. when they don't have faces, mm-hmm. just the, 
the expression in the eyes, like you were mentioning mm-hmm. the, the thing with the Joker's eyes, but just everybody's look of terror mm-hmm. that that they're feeling at the moment. Um, I mean, regardless of, of what you thought of the story, it was a very uh, emotional ride. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anyone reading it was paranoid and suspicious. And a lot of that has to do with the creep factor of the art and just the way it's it's so dark and it just like it gets inside your bones and like it's it's a really chilling story, especially to sit down and read all at once. Yeah. yeah. You know? When you get that shot looking down at the dinner table, it's mm-hmm. like you're it's a Texas chainsaw massacre yeah. sort of thing. It's yeah. Ooh, yeah, it is, absolutely. Se- Stephanie, you're oh, saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um who does the colors for Batman? Is it Greg Capullo as well, or is there another no, colorist? No, I think it's Jonathan, Jonathan Glampton. Glapion? Glapion? Yeah. Okay, because I actually just Glampton. wanted to make a point about that as well. Oh, wait, no, no, no. It's it's FCO, I can't, Pla- Placencia? Because <laughs> Jonathan Glapion's the English. It's a Stephanie name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I wanted to make a point <laughs> wow, about that, that too, really... <laughs> because while Greg Capullo does excellent pencils, a lot of this for me is uh, the color tones, because... Mm-hmm. I mean, even without looking at the words, you can kind of tell what's going on by the tones in each panel and like the darkness or even just like how over the course of uh, this arc, Batman or not Batman, sorry, Joker, his mask is Mm -hmm. slowly like rotting. And Mm -hmm. it's just these subtle little colors that you pick up on as you read through it. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the art, I mean, while Greg Capullo is you know, brilliant, a lot of the time we don't really praise the colorist or the inker. And I think in this case, with a story like this, the colorist deserves a lot of the praise because the creepiness comes from the tones and tones um, inflict like these feelings on us. Because, I mean, when I learned in color theory in school, you know, and even anyone really like in elementary school would learn about warm tones and cold tones Mm -hmm. and what those really, you know, mean for us emotionally and they do such a great job of subtly hinting at things without us even realizing through the colors yeah absolutely yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a really really good point the colors duke the colors um yeah Old and, popsicle commercial sorry <laughs> and I, I yeah i do want to i want to agree with steve especially about um the expressions because it's easy to talk about the big stuff you know the really gruesome uh or the big action moments but Especially near the end, there's a moment where you know he, he they figure out that their faces are fine, uh, and it's the look that Dick gives him when he tells him to go after him, and he doesn't have pupils, but there mm-hmm. there's so much expression in that face, and the wordless panel where Batman hugs Damien when he realizes he's fine, it's a really emotional yeah. moment, and it's completely visual, you know, and you know Greg and Greg Capullo has even said this, you see interviews with him, and he says he he's doing his best work that he's ever done right now. You know, and it it it's amazing to me, you know, that it's because, you know, it's it's definitely big. It definitely has a big feeling to it, but I don't feel like it's and it definitely goes over the top, definitely in places with, with the horror elements. But I feel like it, it has a center as well that it comes back to that allows it to look very human and, mm-hmm. and, and you can connect with these characters, even though there's this crazy stuff happening. Yeah, that hug's probably my favorite panel in the book. Yeah, it's it's a great yeah. it's a great moment. Um now, and I mean, Steve, we talked about your theory, right, about him not being really being the Joker and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, and I, you know, off mic before I was talking about how, you know, I feel like this whole story has kind of been, you know, the, the, the Court of Alice thing was very much about ancestry and past and lineage and, and stuff like that. And, and 
I feel a lot like this thing is very much about identity. You know, it's very much what is identity? What does it mean? Does it is is Batman really Bruce Wayne or is Bruce Wayne really Batman? Is that why Joker doesn't care? Because he knows that whoever he is behind that mask, who cares? This is what he chooses to do with his life. You know, and this is where he's probably his most real is at this point. Uh, the Joker thing too, you know, he, he even says, you know, who are we underneath these things? You know, we're just squishy material. And, you know, his mask that he's wearing on his face is obviously going, like Stephanie said, goes brown after a while, it, you know, it's gone. And when he gets pushed off, when he falls off of that waterfall, the face kind of f- flies off. Mm-hmm. Uh, we never get to see really what's underneath there. Uh, you know, my feeling is quite possibly that underneath that face is just his real face, you know, and this has all been kind of this ploy you know, the, the, to mess with Batman and to really call into question, you know, you know, what is a mask? You know, his, his, his Joker face, his mask, or is what he wears underneath it, his mask? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I, I think, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a crazy idea, but I feel like there's got to be also just practically some way they bring him back from this because he's not always going to look like that. No, well, that was yeah. my question yeah. as to how, how much this was going to ring out into mm-hmm. future endeavors. Right. Are people going to now have to draw him with the belt buckles and mm. you know, like, is that just the way that he's going to look from now on? Like they, they gave him like permission mm-hmm. to be like, I want to change the way the Joker looks. Right. Can we do that? Mm-hmm. You know? Yes, you can. Right. And then from now on, it's like, this is established continuity. This is what happened to him. This is mm-hmm. how he has to be drawn. Mm-hmm. If you're going to bring him back, he needs to look like this. Right. But I like what you said was that, and that's, that's another thing that I was going back to what I said earlier about there still being, an air of mystery. Mm-hmm. We don't get to see that underneath. What if that was like you said, what if, what if it was somebody else's face mm-hmm. that the the whole time, the cutoff face, there was no way they say there's no DNA on file. There's mm-hmm. no way of knowing yeah. that um, it could have just been somebody that he was wearing kind of like uh Leatherface mm-hmm. is wearing, mm-hmm. you know, one of his victims faces or something like that. Yeah. And even the meaty parts and everything underneath that could all be something else as well. And he can just, you know, the next time we see him, he could be coming out of the sewers, walking in an alleyway, like up against the wall, peeling off that part of his face. And at the end, he just tears it off and underneath it's, it's all still just a joke. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But it does seem to be part of his skill set now because he had in the, under the plates mm-hmm. or now, obviously that's not Barbara's face. It's some right. other victim who's mm-hmm. carved her face off. Right. Right. Yeah. And it always he's to got me, a guy. Yeah. yeah. He's got a face guy. He's got a guy. Um, it's you know, the uh, the dude from Mrs. Doubtfire, <laughs> the brother, Harvey Firestein. <laughs> um, you know, I, I was saying off air. You know, the Joker is a real world villain. Mm-hmm. You know, he isn't some super science creation where he can mouth words without lips and mm-hmm. gums and all the rest of it. So. Something else had have been going on right. to, to me always. So, yeah, why not? It's somebody else's face made up to look like the Joker over the Joker's real face. Right. Layers under layers mm-hmm. under layers. Well, it's like I said to Bobby, symbolism. Yeah. 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 You know, the whole, the whole face-off thing. Yeah. And look, to me, my feeling is that if, if Superman is Clark Kent, mm-hmm. Batman is Batman. Right. Bruce Wayne is the construct. He yeah. turned into Batman that night his parents were murdered, and mm-hmm. he's been Batman ever since. Yeah. It's a good point. It's a very, very good point. Uh, I do want to talk about the backups a little bit too because I think that uh, the backups, which are Snyder and Tinian and Art by Jock, uh, you know, going over these all these different villains, I the one that stands out to me the most is the one with uh, the Riddler, uh, who is rumored to be, I think, the next like villain that Snyder is going to be addressing. Mm-hmm. 
And I just love the way that he wrote him. You know, I love this, you know, incredibly smart. And the way the Joker talks to him is, you know, you, you're the only one who's as smart as him. And, he, you know, he says his most, you know, horrible weapon is his brain, you know, Batman. And that he would never figure you out unless you left those clues. But you understand that that's part of the game. That's part of the fun, you know. Um, I'm excited about the, to see those uh, how those go along. And it's cool to see Snyder kind of go uh, around these villains that he isn't re- really using, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for, for now. To see where mm-hmm. it's going to end up, um, and there's interesting. I, w- I was rereading it today and reading the second issue, and it, you know he's getting out of the vat of, of chemicals, and it's this really great passion. I didn't notice it the, the, the first time I was reading it, you know, because um, it's separated by panels, uh, separated by captions. I mean, it says, "I look for something I missed." He's going over the form- formula of the stuff that turned the Joker into the Joker. Mm-hmm. I look for something I missed, some secret ingredient, the thing that made him. I stare until it all blurs, and I'm looking at nothing looking at myself, my own eye reflected back from the lens. So it's, you know, he, he uses two separate thoughts, but really saying, you know, I look in this chemical, you know, so hard in this microscope for something that, that made him him until all I can see is my own eye reflected mm-hmm. back at me. You know, and it's obviously mm-hmm. like, I made the Joker who he is. And it's just, I just love the way that the thought is separated, but it mm-hmm. comes together as one thought. You know, when you kind of read it in a certain way. He's a good writer. Yeah, he's a good writer. <laughs> he writes good words. He does. He writes good words. Um, <laughs> I got a chuckle out of Stephanie for that one. Yeah, you did. Um, you know, so, you know, we talk, you know, again, we're talking about the end of the story, obviously, and, and the end is obviously a big thing. But, you know, the journey to the end is also something important as well. And so I don't want to just focus on the end. I want to just get quick hits. Like, what, Bob, what do you think of it? You know, all we leading up to the end, and it's just the end. Well, as I've said, I do prefer the owls. I love the whole mm-hmm. exploration of the history of Gotham City, a history we didn't know, mm-hmm. and the, the connection to the Wayne family. The I, maybe was it issue the third issue in the run where he and Batman are on the dam. Yes, yeah, yeah. Where the, it all comes together, where this is going to be. That was sort of the, sort of the yeah. tipping point of the whole thing. That was just yeah. a brilliant, brilliant sequence. Mm-hmm. Steve, issue number five, still my favorite in. Uh, the entire DC 52 uh, Snyder Batman mm-hmm. series. Uh, the journey, though, like I said earlier, it was it was an emotional, psychological, and very traumatic story. And I, I really like what... I mean, I do kind of agree with Stephanie as far as that, like, Batman does act different. Mm-hmm. I agree with that 100%. Yeah. Uh, I don't mind the chemistry as much, but... At the same time, just w- the way that he, his, when the Joker comes in more so than other villains, I think even more so than the Owls, it just it has more of a of a rippling effect that it it, it gets to everyone on the team, and he's really the only villain that I found that you can like if Mister Freeze came along, it's like you know you call Nightwing and you're like he's your problem, <laughs> you know I got other things to do tonight, but when it's the Joker. Everybody's like paralyzed. Everybody's on edge. And uh, it would have been interesting to see perhaps maybe a little bit more, a few more consequences aside from like a lost finger and maybe some, you know, wheels on roller skates not uh, properly aligned. <laughs> but beyond that, I it's just, I had fun. Mm-hmm. And that's what, it, that's what it's supposed to be about. And I was terrified. <laughs> and I was terrified for Alfred mm-hmm. that the, the whole time, the, the whole time, my favorite character in the Batman universe that's not, a, you know, a, a superhero or whatever 
the idea of possibly losing him mm-hmm. and you know we speculated his head being underneath the plate mm-hmm. i i think that might have been like the first time since we all were doing this that that something would have come along that really really like i would have just stood up and just be like no ah! <laughs> um so i'm happy that we didn't lose mm-hmm. him yeah but you know just that that paranoia like i was dying to read this issue i was climbing the walls looking for it everywhere Mm -hmm. and uh i just it created a the journey created a fever in me to know how it was gonna end and as much as i do enjoy books it was it's rare that i get that like that that unscratchable itch Mm -hmm. for information as to how somebody's usually i'm very patient i was so impatient with this Mm -hmm. So for that, I really enjoyed it, and the journey itself. Yeah. Stephanie, what about you? Um, just the journey to get here, kind of thing. Yeah, like you know, we, we talked about the end, and we talked about what we didn't like about the end, and, and, and or what we liked about the ending. But I mean, it's more than just you know three or four pages at the end of a book. It's you know it's over five issues and it's a lot of pages. And what do you think of it? You know, overall from beginning to end, not just you know our thoughts on the ending. Um, the arc itself, I. I... I don't know. It wasn't the strongest for me, but again, it's one of those things where I still enjoyed it and I still picked it up on Wednesday, Mm -hmm. you know, like instead of waiting and hearing what everyone was thinking about it, it's still something that will constantly be on my pull list because it's so great. Um, And even when it's not so great, it's still miles above so many other things. Mm -hmm. Um. I, I can't not read this. And despite like Joker's not my favorite character, but I still think that there's a lot of, um, a lot you can get out of it. And a lot, uh, there, there's like that creepy factor. It almost kind of makes that transition into, um, from being like a thriller detective story. Although we haven't really seen really a lot of Batman detectiving, but I mean, it makes that transition to horror. And it's just so dark and I enjoy seeing those levels um, from start to finish. And just, I mean, you see at the end of the arc here, again, this isn't, this is talking about the end when we were talking about the whole thing, but whatever, (laughs) Um, you know, he's on the edge. Like he is literally on the edge of something that he both needs to do and can't do in the killing of the Joker. Mm. And even though to me, again, it was disappointing. There's that, just that whole thing where as soon as you see the Joker, you're like, kind of like, I wonder if he'll do it. I wonder if he'll cross that line. Like whenever he appears, that's the first thing that crosses my mind. It's like, how will this end? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know if that made sense. I kind of talked about sure, the makes, ending. It makes, but... abolu- it makes absolute sense. Um, and I, I, that's one thing we didn't address. Like there, there is like direct dialogue about that, you know, about the reason why he doesn't kill him. And, you know, Joker kind of speaks for him and gives what he calls like the BS reasons about why he doesn't kill him. And I really enjoyed what Bruce says at the end, you know, where he says, I'm afraid if I kill him, there's gonna be something worse that's going to come after him, you know, and that's a scary thought, you know, and, and not really something, you know, in, in the Batman stuff or Joker stuff I've read that I've heard Bruce ever, you know, address or say. So that's interesting to me. Uh, you know, for me, it's reading it again. To, you know, uh, first of all, I want to say 
again, DC, we criticize them for a lot of things. This book is their biggest book. It comes out once a month and the amount of expectation and excitement for it is off the charts. So to, to think that you can't do that with your biggest book, I, I think is a misnomer. And I think that, you know, there's never a moment with Batman that I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't get it now because it's, it's too many have come out, you know, in the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. That never had happened, you know. So, and even the books I love at Marvel that, that you know, that come out that quickly, I have that thought sometimes. Like, should I skip it this week and save a little money, buy something else, and get it when, on a lighter week? Never going to happen with Batman because it comes out once a month and it's like appointment. You know, I know. <laughs> That when it comes out that day, I'm gonna get it, and it's the first thing I'm gonna read. Sorry, baby, I can't hang out tonight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got Batman. Yeah, um, Batman comes out. You understand? Babe, <laughs> I got you, babe. <laughs> Batman. <laughs> so there's that, and there's also the just the fact that uh, he took. The, he, you know, it's something to create your own villain, and and I love the Court of the Owl stuff, and in a lot of ways, I prefer it to this story. Uh, because it's all new. It's it, there's no expectations to Foster because he's just doing something different. And whatever he does, we go, oh, that's who the owls are. You know, with the Joker, you, you, you sit there with, you know, sixty years of history, seventy years of history, thinking the Joker did this, then he did that, then does how does this relate to this? How does it relate to that? And, you know, it's a tougher thing to do. It's very tough to create a storyline that's this hype, that's this big, and satisfy anyone let alone you know everyone so i i think those tasks are huge i don't think anybody else really is attempting you know this kind of story in with this big a character you know um, what i mean so in a, it's different than hickman big you know hickman big is different hickman, hickman big is you know spindles throughout six years of time but these kind of you know laying down the gauntlet i'm taking the biggest character and the biggest villain and doing the best thing i possibly can with it I think it's pretty impressive. Stephanie, what were you going to say? I was just going to say that this story really kind of, I'm not really a big Scarecrow fan. I know Steve is, mm-hmm. but yeah. this, this arc really made me, I don't know why it made me think of uh, Scarecrow, maybe with the sort of, uh, with Damien, Steph and Batman and Robin. Mm-hmm. But I think Scott Snyder would be a really interesting writer to tackle Scarecrow yes. in a full on yeah. arc. Mm-hmm. And that kind of made me, wish that instead of maybe the Riddler coming next, that maybe they would try something with the Scarecrow. Because with Greg Capullo and, like, you see the nightmare sequences in the Court of Owl stuff, I just think they would be so extraordinary working on something. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, they would just be awesome. Well, if, yeah, you, if you have the chance, the recent um, Greg Hurwitz did a Scarecrow arc mm-hmm. uh, for, I think, Dark Knight when he took over. And I just got to read it uh, last week. I read it, you know, from beginning to end, and it was quite good. Mm. It was very good. Um, not not the, not the best that I've read, but definitely up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want creepy, like in the vein of uh, maybe not to the like the uh, masterful, I, it's such a <laughs> not to the level of mm-hmm. Scott Snydery uh, <laughs> business, but you know. Damn, damn good and damn creepy and just like a very gritty uh, seven-ish mm-hmm. kind of vibe to it. And it uh, definitely belongs in the, the long line of good Scarecrow stories. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the mood for that, that's something to look out for. And the other thing, too, I was, I was struck by reading it again and all together in one lump is that, you know, there are a lot more small moments than I remember reading it issue to issue and month to month. And 
you know, Stephanie, you mentioned the detective stuff, and there was a lot more detective stuff than I remembered reading it, you know, month to month. There's a great scene, I think it's the first issue, yeah. where they're saying Mayor Hades is going to die at midnight, and, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Batman's on top of the elevator with all the screens in front of him, and he's talking about, you know, the compound and this and that, and he, and he sits there and he works out in his brain what's about to happen, this bad thing's about to happen, and, you know, that stuff is really great to see, and I think sometimes those little moments get lost when you're reading stuff over a long period of time, and when you go back and read it as a lump, that, that stuff really exists in, in, in good chunks. And yeah, I mean, the, the trade for this is going gonna, is gonna to be ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, and I want to see, and normally I, that stuff makes me want to see more of it. Like, I want to see an arc that's very much about just him being, you know, Sherlock Holmes in a, in, in a mask, you know? Well, uh, considering here at the end where you, in essence, have uh, the Joker and Batman at Reichenbach Falls as if they're Holmes and Moriarty. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what that's a callback mm-hmm. to. If it's the Riddler instead of the Scarecrow, mm-hmm. the Riddler, it's all going to be about being a detective. Right. So maybe he's even thinking along those lines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that stuff is great, and I, I love that stuff. Even, and, and the thing about it too, is the way that we get that kind of chilling ending to the, the book is through detective work. It's through Batman realizing there's this compound in their blood and going through and not even going the first level, going the next level under that, which is what's the original name of this compound. It leaves you with that great ha, 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 ha yeah. thing at, at the end. Um with the fly, which, you know, everybody, people are, every little detail, people are dissecting it. And, and what does that mean? Is the Joker in the, the, did the Joker get in the Batcave or whatever? But uh, I love things that bring up questions. And so that's really why I think I, I liked it so much. I like questions being raised. The fly did it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's something, uh, you have to be able to discuss it. You can't just have a book where it's like, it, it answers all of your questions. You get it, because at the end of it, you're going to be like, oh, this happened. Cool. <laughs> Cool. Did you like it? <laughs> nah. Did you? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But like, there's nothing to discuss. You mm-hmm. know, having questions and having things be a mystery while still giving people at least some hint of um, being rewarded for sticking with the story is um like an art that you need to master as a writer. And some people just really don't know how to do that. But I think Snyder, you know, for again, all my... F- like what I didn't like with mm-hmm. this arc, I still think he's masterful at what he does. And it, it just, he makes everything he does um, something that you can discuss with fellow readers and even people mm-hmm. who don't read comics. You mm-hmm. could like be like, I, don't, I can't really think of a time when you would discuss this with a non-comic book fan, <laughs> but you know, there's just so much, um, there's so many layers to it. Like you guys were saying, and mm-hmm. I, I just think, that's worth a lot these days, especially, yeah. you know, in our world that's growing so quickly. And Right. I mean, I definitely feel like this could be one of those things where I say to, like, Jeff, who does the Man Cave with me, mm-hmm. like, he doesn't really read comics, but he loves Batman. You know, I could hand him, you know, this along with, you know, some of the other great Batman trades, be like, read this, because you're going to really love what you're going to get here. These are characters you know, and you're, you're going to attach them, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Uh, Wait till a big surprise comes next issue. When the reason that Fly is there is the Joker standing with his rotting face. He's going to shoot Batman on the first panel, <laughs> and from now on, the book's going to be called the Joker. Yeah, and he, Joker is going to be Batman. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, if we can have Doc Ock as Spider-Man, I mean, why not? It's true. And you know, second discussion. We've had a 40, 49 minute discussion about you know this arc. Wow. So you know, if that's a mark of something, at least that's very interesting. Um, we also had a ton of people uh, write in on the site. Oh, cool. I, I just want to read over some of their reactions. Uh, we posted a, a, a 
Batman number 17, what did you think? For people to talk about spoilery stuff so that they, you know, you know, so there wasn't, people coming to the review to see if it was good didn't accidentally get spoiled on something uh, that they didn't want to because I was very careful about the spoiling thing in the book. And we got a, we got a really, really good uh, reaction um, to, to this. So, so this is from uh, M. DePonte. I think that's how you say his name. Uh, I feel this issue that, def- that definitely requires a second reading more so than any other issue in the arc. Once to finally read the final chapter in which we've all been giddy and frothing at the mouth over, over ever since the arc was announced. The second reading is for once we finally have our bearings and try to understand what we just read. Ever since Death of the Family was announced, I think people naturally assumed it had to do with Batman and his allies. There was either going to be a death of a member of the unit or death in the sense that something tragic, so tragic will occur in which the Bat Family will be rocked so it's to its core and broken up. After reading this issue a second time, I get the sense that the family is a symbiotic relationship Joker has with Batman, and Joker was giving one final performance or joke. I almost felt as though this entire spectacle was an elaborate way for Joker to kill himself. In the conversation with Batman, he was, al- he was almost trying to convince him to go over the edge and finish, it- finish him once and for all. Greg Capullo, what else can be said that hasn't been said already? For all the talent Snyder has, this story wouldn't have nearly had half the dramatic punch without Capullo's pencils and the wonderful colors of FC- FCO, I cannot say the last name. His <laughs> um, depiction of Joker's ne- neurotic, necrotic face was the framing of every scene in, in truly terrifying and wonderful. I just hope we can get many, many issues more out of this dynamic duo. Oh, look at me prattle on and endlessly. I think I'll just shut up. Um, <laughs> Very well said. So, interesting thing about this thing in Death of the Family, me more being about the, the death of the, that connection between uh, Joker and Batman. With the title of the issue being Punchline. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. That's a very yeah. interesting theory, and it's something we did not talk about, you know? Uh, mm. and it's something I wouldn't even thought of. So that, that's a really cool. Uh, this is from This John D. I had no idea expect uh, from this issue. I, I, like most of the internet, thought that Alfred was surely, gonna be, sur- was surely going to perish. He was the obvious choice, and thankfully Snyder completely avoided the obvious in this issue the entire way through. Um, it was surprising that nothing shocking happened, but thinking back to the closing moments of the book, I think the death that everyone was looking for was presented right in the title of the arc, Death of the Family. By ignoring Bruce's requests for a meeting, I think the Bat family is disbanded and Joker is ultimately won, which is perhaps the most haunting aspect of the book. I think that having a family anymore will do more damage to Batman than any death could ever have done. I do have a few issues that a rereading might help me figure out, but I thought I'd throw them out anyway. Did Batman truly know Joker's identity? One of the final panels shows an identity unknown over Joker's picture on the computer. What was the significance of the fly at the end? I know this fly was on Joker's hand in the dinner sequence. So was it supposed to be a sort of a Joker's last laugh moment? It's also curious that, they'll fl- they'll, that the fly got into Batcave at all, which might be symbolic of Joker getting in. How did the Joker know who the Bat family was if he was bluffing about getting into the Batcave? Um, you know, for a lot of those questions, I think the, the first two questions, you don't really know. You know, that's, those are not answerable. Um, the third one, I don't think the Joker knew who they were. I just think that he, that was because he says when Batman's going to tell him his identity, he goes, "You're going to you're trying to play the, my same joke on me," and, and he looks at that book which Joker says has all the identities mm-hmm. in it, and there's it's blank. So I, I think that you're supposed to intimate that Joker didn't know and doesn't care. You know, like what like we've been saying, right? And if he has uh, Barbara Gordon's mother, it's she's Commissioner Gordon's wife, exactly. And you attack yeah. Barbara in the first place because he's Commissioner Gordon's yeah. daughter. And Alfred, because Bruce is with Batman Incorporated, a known connection to Batman. So I think that, you know, you, you have to intend that he doesn't know. There's still a chance he knows in some part of his brain that Bruce Wayne is Batman. But I don't think he cares, like has been that yes. is in the book. Uh, 
Uh, this is from Sean Lamont, who's actually a, a contributor to our site as well. I think this issue clearly showed me where Snyder and Capullo have excelled in the medium, and it's all a matter of trust. Not trust in the quality of the story, but trust in how far either is willing to go to prove, deliver their themes. In a field where we're all certain that everything is going to work out okay nine times out of ten, the style they have adopted sows seeds of doubt and diligently tends to them over the long story, putting the reader in a frame of mind that they just cannot be certain that will be the case. Sincerely enjoyed it, and very educational from a writing standpoint as well. Very interesting. Um, Speedrise says, first off, I love the art from the cracks in Batman's mask to the Joker's decaying face mask. This, this issue is superbly handled from an art standpoint. Love the panel of Batman looking across the table and we see him through the ring at the top of the serving dish cover. Also loves Alfred's feisty attitude, attitude towards Bruce playing nurse toward the end. Um, that was a good <laughs> little moment. Go to hell. <laughs> yeah. um, I have to admit, I felt a little misled by the conclusion. Not necessarily a bad thing, but with the death of the family title and... Uh, as I pointed out in my review, uh, Snyder makes promises that this was going to bring about big changes. I thought this would either have gone further to shake up the status quo. But rereading and thinking about it with all the comic book deaths recently, we have not amounted to anything. Snyder does the right thing by not killing any actual person, but perhaps the idea of the close-knit Bat family. Um, so It's nice what. to know that people are recognizing that and appreciating it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's refreshing. Thanks. <laughs> Um, this is from Samuel Moon. Uh, I thought the issue as a whole was great. I loved the reveal of what was on the plates, but I felt cheated when it was revealed to be a trick. I was also disappointed by Joker's death, in quotes. Was I the only one who actually was rooting for Batman to kill the Joker? Interesting. Mm. Mm. I know, I always get that. Yeah. I, when those moments, I always get really kind of like emotionally attached to like Batman's you know ethos. And mm. I, I don't want him to do it because I feel like you know it's one of those things you hold on to ever since you're a kid. Like Batman doesn't do that. You know, and, and oh. for him to do it would be kind of... Batgirl almost did. Yeah, and I know. She yeah. was very close until some things went even worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's interesting. What about you, Stephanie? Um, I'm... <laughs> you don't... You, know, were you, you were not... I don't know what that means, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> um, was some part of you rooting for Batman to kill the Joker? No. Okay. <laughs> I, I think that... Sorry, I was just kind of trying to find my words for it. But I think um, we touched on this a bit before, but I think it's one of those things where if you erase one evil, the world will compensate Mm -hmm. and you'll get an evil just as bad or worse out of it. So, I mean, it's not Batman's place or Batgirl's place to kill the Joker. They don't have a license to kill. That's not what they do. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not playing god they're playing vigilantes they're trying to help the cops they're not trying to you know they're not trying to be like they're not trying to be murderers Mm because that's a line that Mm -hmm. they're crossing even though these people are horrible and probably deserve to die they still know that that's not their place Mm -hmm. absolutely and that's that's a that's a great point um, this is from Will. He says, overall, I love the issue and story arc. For me, Batman's final confrontation with the Joker had echoes of the Dark Knight Returns, wherein both the Joker delights in pushing Batman to the edge and then ultimately contributes to his own death. Given what Scott Snyder has said in recent interviews about wanting to do other Joker stories in the future, I think we can assume the Joker will return in some form. As some have previously mentioned, the death of the family seems to be a broken trust between Batman and the other Bat family members, which seems like the deepest, most enduring wound the Joker could have wrought. 
uh, a convenient truth as I can't imagine the DC higher-ups allow the removal of key characters that would affect the continuance of other titles. I wonder if we will ever know what Joker said to the Bat family in the dark, but I hope this thread is continued and explored both in Batman and the related titles. And I wonder if the trace amounts of Hanium left in the Bat family will come into play. For me, the tension created by Snyder's narrative along with Capullo's grotesquely effective art made for a truly unforgettable story. Um, Indeed. <laughs> Oh, and this is from, we got one from Mario. He's, uh, he said, hey, it's the guy with the unspeakable name Mario S. So it's totally fine or just Mario. <laughs> um, he said, Batman 17 left me with some kind of relief, but just as much with the feeling of having something precious. It, it was the final pages that put the finger on the one thing that for me made Batman who he is. It's the fact everyone is willing to trust him no matter what. Soups, Soups gave him the ring of kryptonite just to show an example of how Hi, Bruce's moral code is valued. Joker pulled off the one thing that I would never have thought might be compromisable. It seems as if the seems as if one thing everyone would think when he hears family was taken away by the the crown the clown prince of crime. Trust. Um. And uh, and uh, Saul says Snyder has delivered a flawless finale that elevates the Joker Batman relationship to Shakespearean heights. Loved every page. So thank you guys so much. It was overwhelming the amount of feedback we got uh, on Batman 17. Uh, we're going to try to do that in the future with other really big titles that come out. Um, so look forward to that. Um, but I think that's about it for our Batman conversation. Now, if you want to hear even more Batman, uh, tune in on Friday because Scott Snyder is going to be with us and he's going to be you know, commiserating or possibly debunking everything we just said in this entire uh, you know hour-long conversation we just had. Uh, <laughs> we guys, wasted our lives. I know, I know. At least we wasted an hour. At least, so that's bad enough. Um, hour lives, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Same thing. Uh, you know, guys, if you want to get in touch with us, you know, talkingcomicbooks dot com uh, at talking comics on Twitter and Facebook dot com slash uh, talking comics. Um, and info at talkingcomicbooks dot com is the email address as well. Uh, you know, we, we want your feedback. We want your reactions to this and everything else. You know, even if we're not doing a specific topic, we love to hear feedback from you guys. You know, you heard some earlier in the show and we want more and more and more of that. Um, yeah, so that's about it. I mean, reviews, articles. Steve, you actually started adding descriptions to your uh, covers of the week article. Yeah. Which is great. You know, I think it adds like another layer. Yeah, I apologize that. for this past week. I was on vacation, so I kind of <laughs> did uh, this this coming Thursday. I will go back uh, in depth and start picking these these covers apart because I, I do enjoy it. And I can't remember her name, but it was actually uh, by the suggestion of one of our commenters mm-hmm. that prompted me to take the extra leap and, and do that. So if you're listening to the show, thank you very, very much. Very, very cool. Um, my personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle. Steve's. Uh, mine is at dead underscore anchorus. Stephanie? I'm Hello Cookie. And Bob? Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. And that is it for Talking Comics for this week. For Steve. Bye-bye. Bob. Good night. And Stephanie. I've been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. 